Friday, March the 27th. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Recorded the interviews for this one on Thursday. So there's one or two things that, that change. You know how it is. As soon as you record something, then like immediately there's news that, uh, that alters that. Um, so uh, the first interview we have is with Eric. Uh, and we talk NFL with Eric. We go through every free agency move for every single team literally all of the moves who we like what teams have improved and we talk for an hour nfl so football fans if you're a fan of any team we go through all the moves what we think positives negatives uh, really fun listen uh, in that interview then we're going to have uh, chad cooper on we talk about the texans in particular with chad um, some of the moves they made and, and how he feels on those and then we're going to talk uh, wrestling with Chad Cooper. We recap the last week of wrestling from WWE and from All Elite Wrestling, and then we kind of continue leading into WrestleMania, talking about uh, what WWE's plans are for WrestleMania. Then I'm going to talk a little Gulfstream Park Saturday. I'm going to roll through that card and uh, give some plays all throughout the card. I think I, you know, have opinions on almost all the races except for I think. One or two that I don't really like, kind of just skip right over. But for the most part, we'll give you a good opinion on uh, on most of that card for Saturday. Then we close things out with a WrestleMania rewatch. We go back in time and recap WrestleMania three. Yes, Andre the Giant versus Hulk Hogan. Remember that that one, one of the biggest uh, wrestling matches in history. And then on that same card, it was one of the best wrestling matches in history between the Macho Man. Randy Savage and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, a really good pay-per-view. Darren Zocali and Andrew Champagne join me and the three of us discuss that WrestleMania. We spend well over an hour going match by match, all of our thoughts, kind of setting up everything that was happening in that time. That was back in 1987. That was actually five days after I was born. Yeah, (laughs) March the 29th. So obviously I I wasn't watching that live or anything, but a show that I've gone back and watched many, many times. So it was really fun to talk about it. So as you can see, we have a packed show. You know, we can't can't spend a whole a whole lot of time dilly dallying because this one's going to be very very long. But I'm sure most of you out there um, are uh, kicking back and hopefully staying safe, staying inside, and you're uh, you're flipping on listening to a lot of a different podcasts. So toss this on uh, and while you. Uh, Go through your your daily activities, and hopefully we can make you some money and we can entertain you. Let's go right away to Eric. Let's talk some NFL. So we're gonna go team by team and all of the moves in free agency. Football fans, this will be fun. Not a whole lot going on in the world of sports right now, as far as live sports, as far as like sports news. But the one. Of the of the major sports that still actually seems like it's functioning right now is the NFL with free agency just kicking off in, over the last couple of weeks, and there have been a ton, a ton of NFL free agent moves. Teams that have been making trades, um, big name players, something that we just generally don't see a whole lot in the NFL. So I, we brought on our, our good buddy Eric to talk about this. We know Eric from uh, Twitter, Etoff Twenty One Sports, and uh, he. Joined us previously to to break down, uh, I think NFL, XFL games. We've talked a couple different things, and actually, Eric, before we get into um, 
to breaking down the uh, all the moves that all the teams made. Thanks for joining us again. Um, it, it's kind of funny because like the only two things that are really going are two things that you don't mind following either are uh, wrestling, like WWE, AEW, and horse racing. They're they're like the two only sports going we have right now. I know it's nice to actually have some sort of sport to watch on TV. It's really yeah. hard for me to watch um, like a recorded thing, a recorded yeah. sporting event. So it's yes. the struggle is real, man. Yeah. So, so what are your day? What are your days like right now? So tell us where where are you and and so what are things like where where you're based? I am in the northern suburbs of Chicago. Basically, my day is I wake up, I have that DDP yoga app. I do about an nice. Hour. Me too. I love that. Yeah. I have a oh and do you do uh, what's her name? Christina's workout. Or- bang bang. Um, you know what? I have a really old burn DVD, so I don't do a lot of the new, like, so for me, it's still YRG yoga on my DVD. (laughs) It's so old. It's like eight years. But the DVD, I still have, I have like six or seven workouts on there. So um, I just, it it ain't broke for me. I don't fix it, right? (laughs) Oh, I did the app. I downloaded the app. I do about an hour of that. And then I found this trail by my place and I run about, I run on that for an hour and then my brother got me hooked on some TV show named, was it Banshee? That's on okay. Amazon Prime. It used there to be we go. Cinemax. And there we I, go. I'll watch one or two episodes of that. Then I'll just kind of go into some horse racing or like dive into some NFL and just getting prepped, getting ready for for when they do come back. So you're going to be ready to rock because that's what's nice. You fire away on everything, but the NFL is bread and butter for for most people who. Who who bet and who wager and, and it's just um it, it's just a completely different monster. So we've had like generally we see it like in baseball, we see it in basketball. You don't generally see this many big name players moving around so early and like within a week. I mean, how many big name quarterbacks are really solid defensive players? Um, have gone back and forth, traded, changed teams. We're gonna see a, a different NFL when when things do start up. I am so looking forward to this. I've already put in future bets on Super Bowls, on over-under totals, winning divisions. I have my rankings for fantasy already locked in. I mean, there's been so many moving pieces, and I couldn't be more excited for something that's months away. Okay, well, let's get started because we're going we're gonna to go through every team and we're going to mention some of their moves, maybe some of their departures. We'll give some thoughts on each and every team. So whatever team you're a fan of, sit back and enjoy. We're going to start in the NFC or we're going to start in the NFC with the NFC West and we'll go division by division and, and mention it. So we'll start with the Arizona Cardinals who um, I think they've made a couple nice moves so far and, and the big one that we... We heard a, like about a week, week and a half ago was the trade with the Texans where the Arizona Cardinals acquired DeAndre Hopkins, one of the best wide receivers in the game. They end up trading David Johnson, who, you know, they're okay with that because they placed the transition tag on Kenyon Drake. Um, let's see, uh, some other moves that they made, agreed to a one-year deal with Devondre Campbell. Larry Fitzgerald is coming back. He signed a one-year deal. Uh, they agreed to terms uh, with Kennard, linebacker, and Phillips, the, the DT. So... I mean, the, the the big one for them, obviously, is, is Hopkins. You're adding Hopkins, who, in my eyes, is the best wide receiver. He's the best yeah, route I, runner. Yeah, on your, any short list best, that you're going to make, the, absolutely. The best, the best pure catcher of a ball. And he's going to take the team's best DB, the opposing team's best DB, and he, he'll beat them. So you got him on one side. Underneath, you got Larry Fitzgerald, who's physical and great hands. And a veteran who's not going to complain about not getting the ball. 
And then on the other side, you're either going to have Christian Kirk and Andy Isabella with speed for deep routes. And then you have Kenyon Drake in the backfield. Who was incredible in, in the short spurt with them last year. Oh, it's great. I mean, I always feel with a quarterback, the second year is the year. The second year, if they don't pop in the second year, they're not going to be anything in the Especially league. when it's like this a quarterback and the coach and the system. Like they were all kind of coming in at it together as rookies, you know? Like they should take a big step forward this year now. And they're giving him, they're giving Murray all the pieces to succeed. The big thing is, is now with that pick, I believe it's the eighth pick, and the offensive line is very talented this year in this year's draft, they're going to be able to get somebody. And if they address, the offensive line, which is their pretty their big weakness, because Murray Murray got hit a lot last year. He didn't turn the ball over, which was I really liked in a rookie quarterback not turning the ball over, but he did get hit too much. So with the eighth yep. pick, they're going to address the offensive line. I actually found the cards at plus eight hundred on five dimes, which is one of the online sites I bet on to win the AFC West, and I actually locked that one in. Nice. Uh, they're playing in a really what I mean, at least what we thought and on paper is a really tough division. But one of the teams in the division, kind of scratching my head a little bit, they didn't set themselves up very well over the last couple of years with some of the contracts they were dishing out, and we're starting to see it really come forward now. That's the team that I root for, the Rams. Who, when you look around and everyone is kind of making moves, the Rams have not done a whole hell of a lot, and they have lost a lot of key pieces. I guess the big signing for them is is locking down Whitworth, who he's already getting a little a, a little mm-hmm. older and was already struggling a little bit last year. Um, I, Early at least, and then he got he got better. But this Rams team, they're going to have a tough year this year. I totally agree, and they are a poster child for not signing players before their contract runs out. Yep, because yep. that's that, that's why they're in the position. And the one player they probably re- should have resigned early, Aaron Donald, they didn't. Yep, which doesn't make any sense to me. Um, Floyd, they added Floyd, Floyd. To, replace, to replace Fowler, but I mean. Me being in Chicago, I mean, Floyd, Pace is getting blasted for drafting Floyd. Yeah. And, um, but it's one of those high, was it low risk, high reward? I mean, it's only they a one year deal. Yeah. So they needed somebody. So, and pass rushers are at a premium in the league. So if he can, low risk, high reward. I yep. mean, that's kind of how I'm looking at it. You're right. They did sign Whiteworth, who was huge. And they also resigned the guard, who I'm spacing on his name. Oh my God! I'm spacing on the guy's uh, name. Blythe, Blythe. Yeah, they resigned yeah. him. Blythe, and then huge. Robinson, Ashawn Robinson too. The, but, the DT. But me being a Lions fan, I know way too much about Robinson. I was so high on that kid when they drafted him from Alabama, but he's basically just—he's not an every-down player. Yeah, that, that's and, that was one of the things is they they kind of filled in with replacement level type players or not necessarily top 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 tier players. So. Um, we'll see what McVay can pull out of his sleeve this year because he's going to have to have, have his coaching boots on. This team is not just not as good. They're just not as talented as they've been the last couple of years. And and last year they didn't even make the playoffs. So oh, I know. Uh, and I I really like I'm hearing a lot on Twitter about Daryl Henderson. I read a report that McVay said he needed to do a better job of carrying out the play. So I would just be really conscientious about ranking him too high in fantasy. I wouldn't be wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if the Rams actually do draft like a running back just because this class is pretty deep. I mean, you could probably get A.J. Dillon from B.C. like in the fourth, fifth round, and that guy's going to be a bruiser in the league. Yeah, they they doesn't feel like they have like the future running back there yet. 
you know, so maybe they're a team, maybe they're they're going to be looking for at least one or two more to kind of patch it, package like the three together as a committee. I I think so, and it wouldn't be surprising me if they could actually unload Cooks if they looked at. Yeah, no, cooks. that's that's the rumor also that they're trying still they're still trying to get rid of him. So just going to look like a, a very different team than they were a few years ago, um, and and even last year. And they're in a tough division because you know they're playing alongside teams like the San Francisco 49ers Who hey, you know what? When you're just a few minutes away from winning the Super. I guess you don't really have to do a whole heck of a lot, but the 49ers re-signed Armstead for a, on a five-year deal worth up to $85 million. They signed a one-year deal with Travis Benjamin, uh, center Ben Garland re-signed, and Jimmy Ward safety re-signed. So they, mm. they locked down some big pieces there, and they I don't think they felt like they needed to do a whole lot. Well, I mean, the main thing is is it was down to who did they want, Armstead or Buck? Buckner. And they had to pick, yep. yeah. And, but, I mean, they got the 13th pick, and they're going to be able to get Somebody with a 13th pick, an impact player, maybe a wide receiver, or someone to help out in their back four. I mean, I would probably Lamb would be my guess. I mean, because they do need they do need that wide receiver one because they did lose Sanders. I like Debo, but is Debo really a, a wide receiver one? I no. don't think he is. No. Um, I think re-signing Jimmy Ward was huge because he can come up, he can play against the run, he can cover any position. My two big questions with the 49ers are, A, how good is Jimmy G? I've never been a really big Jimmy G mm-hmm. guy. And the fact that all these rumors were coming out that the 49ers were going to go after Brady, that's kind of telling me that were the 49ers the ones that leaked the rumors and they don't have any faith in Jimmy G? That's kind of how I'm looking at it. I've never been a big Jimmy G guy. Me too. I'm kind of, I think the jury is at least still out for me. Um, I, I'm, 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 I think a team can win with him, but he's going to make mistakes. Like it felt like last year's version of the 49ers was the most perfect situation for him to shine and for him to win. And just because he didn't doesn't mean he can't come back and win sometime in the future. But even, like everything went very well for San Francisco most of last yeah. year. Even if they regress a little bit and they don't, you know, and they are, you know, a playoff team or, you know, not a division winner, maybe a wild card type team. They don't win quite as many games. They're still pretty talented. Their defense is going to be good. But I think I'm kind of with you in that. I'm still a little bit concerned if they have enough skill on the offensive side of the ball. Skill players, um, maybe yeah. maybe one more pass catcher or maybe it's some sort of an upgrade offensively. Maybe Jimmy G does take the next step. He still was just coming back for I, – I'm not – Ready to say he's bad, but I'm definitely not not in his camp. So I think I'm I'm still ready to give him maybe another year or two before I write um I kind of write the book on on him quite yet. Yeah. But um there this is a tough division, man. And we move on to the the Seahawks, who um Philip Dorsett they signed to a, a one year deal. Quentin Dunbar acquired in a trade with the Redskins. Uh, B.J. Finley helping the offensive line a little bit, which they def- desperately need. Uh, Jacob Hollister they take a shot on Greg uh, Greg Olson also. Um, Bruce Irvin, uh, Abuhe, and Jerron Reed. So um, they've been pretty active so far, and and they're a team that you know they should be right in the mix again and, and contending. Yeah, I mean I think signing Irvin, getting an edge rush edge rusher is important. I mean, obviously, if Giovanni Clowney doesn't re-sign, I mean, that's going to hurt them, but at least they got Irwin there to help out. Dorsett is going to frustrate the hell out of fantasy people. Yes, He's going to have 18 receptions, six touchdowns, and it's going to drive everyone crazy. I love DK Metcalf. DK Metcalf, when he was in college, he was a body catcher, and he morphed 
into using his hands more as the season progressed. Yeah, because there was a, there was kind of some negative buzz on him coming in. You know, like he wasn't like it was just kind of raw talent. But how much of a work ethic does he have? Is he going to improve? Is he going to like you know put put in the time you need to be good? But he he's he was excellent. He was excellent. Oh, he's improved a lot, and I fully expect him to be wide receiver one by the time by like week eight. By week eight, he's going to be the alpha on the wide receiving court. My big question is because Seattle does like to run the ball, is their backfield. Carson and Penny are both hurt. Uh, do you bring back Lynch? You have Homer. I mean, they have a lot of questions in the backfield for me. Like, I don't even, I, I know. Especially Penny's for a team good. like you said who wants to run the ball, oh, they, they need a little bit more, I guess, certainty back there. Yeah, because Penny, I heard Penny's not going to be back week six the earliest and i don't even know if carson's gonna be ready by season starts i don't know what they're gonna do and i mean lynch is lynch is getting up there i mean i i love beast mode but he's he's getting to be an old man okay let's move to your to your division um we're gonna go to the nfc north next and um we'll we'll start out with uh with the bears the bears so the issue for the bears last year you know they were really kind of a team that felt like they were maybe a year ahead of schedule two years ago, and then everybody was really high on them coming in last year, and I kind of wasn't because they had a little bit of a tougher schedule. Trubisky was just plain and simple not very good. So what they do is they go out and make a move to bring in Nick Foles to sort of at least have a quarterback competition, so they say. So they make a trade with the Jags to bring in Nick Foles. Um, they signed quarterback Artie Burns. They re-signed uh, safety Deion Bush. They bring in tight end Jimmy Graham, who hasn't really been a whole lot the last couple of years, but he's still a big target there. Um, Jermaine Effetti, um, Robert Quinn, edge rusher, and then Trevathan re-signed in a three-year extension. So they've made some moves in here, and obviously the big one is uh, is bringing in Foles to at least battle with Trubisky uh, for the starting quarterback job. And, I mean, the main thing, I think the, the reason they went with Foles as compared to, like, Newton is because Foles has been in that position where he's been on the bench and he won't let it disrupt the locker room. Sure, yeah, that's a good point. He can be a leader, and he's shown like he can go in and he can rally the troops and he can lead the team to a victory. Also, the Jimmy Graham thing, Foles is more of a guy that will push the ball down the field. Granted, Graham hasn't been relevant since, oh my God, for a while. He yeah. wasn't even relevant in Seattle. No, not really. Kind of like the end of New Orleans, even. You know, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, at least they got a tight end, but in the Nagy offense, the tight end really isn't used that much. I like the Quinn. I like them signing Quinn. Um, that gives, when Mac gets the attention, Quinn's going to be able to rush on the opposite side to get to the quarterback. My big issue with the Bears is actually Matt Nagy. I really felt there was no difference between what he did the first year and what he did last year. I just feel he's a stubborn guy. and he, He's like, my system will win. I'll just call the plays. And there was no, um, no confusion. Adjustment. Yeah, there's no, no adjustment to kind of his roster or to what's going on in the games. You're, you're, you're right. It doesn't seem like they adjust. They just, this is what we're going to do. Let's do it. And you just can't do that in this NFL nowadays. And then also, like, they don't give – I love David Montgomery. I loved him at Iowa State. And I was so excited with everybody else when they drafted him. And they just don't give him the ball. Now, I understand, like, weeks one and two and three, he was having a real hard time picking up the blitz and blocking, which was limiting his time on the field. But that got better as the year progressed. And they still weren't giving him the ball. There was that one game, I forget what week, and they only ran the ball. It was something absurd, like nine or 11 times. And they at the, the press asked Nagy after the game, and he had no clue. 
And as an NFL coach, that blows my mind. Yeah, he was supposed to be such a nice, like, a offensive mind when he came in, and everybody thought he was going to be this whisperer and be able to, you know, to just be a great play caller and orchestrate this great offense. And we just, uh, just we have not seen it yet. So um, maybe, maybe with more weapons or with a, 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 you know, at least another option at quarterback, they'll be improved this year. We will see. Let's move to your squad, the Detroit Lions, um, who have now been kind of picking up a lot of uh, with uh, with Patricia. They're kind of picking up a lot of the old uh, Patriots. It seems like Jamie Collins signs to a three year, thirty million dollar deal. They pick up a uh, quarterback, a quarterback Chase Daniel, um, Harmon, the DB acquired in a trade uh, from the Pats. Um, Curse safety, Killebrew the safety, Shelton on the defensive line, Trufant uh, cornerback, um, o- offensive line with Vitai and Nick Williams on the the defensive line. So they've uh, they've at least been been active, been busy. How do you feel about your Lions right now? Well, the main thing for me is we have four picks in the top eighty-five. So we actually, if Quinn can nose out some talent, we can get some pieces that can add on right away. The defense for Patricia being an, a defensive genius was awful last year. I forget the game we played the Vikings. We put up. It was like, and the Vikings D was legit last year. We put up 35 points and still lost. Yep. And it, you could, it was like that. you couldn't get one stop, and that's why you lost. It wasn't even like you couldn't stop a multiple. It was like one stop you just needed because you guys were going back and forth with them, back and forth. And then it just so happened that they were able to like score twice in a row, and that was the difference in the game. That was the game. And the same thing with the Chiefs game when they played the Chiefs at home. The defense was so disappointing. And I hope that Patricia stops calling it and gives it over to the DC this year. I really hope that he just coaches this year and totally takes himself away from it. The offense, when Stafford was healthy, that offense looked unbelievable. I do feel, though, that they need to add another wide receiver. Um, This draft class, the wide receiver depth is pretty good. And also, got to make a decision if Carrion's an everyday, an every down back or not. He, this is two years in a row and two years in a row, two years in a row in the league, he's been hurt. So that's kind of where I'm at with the, uh, with the Lions. We move on to one of the big rivals, Green Bay Packers, who they kind of made a lot of their big moves last year in free agency. So I don't think they were even really expecting to do a whole heck of a lot. They signed a two-year deal with linebacker Christian Kirksey, uh, Devin Funches, a wide receiver. Mercedes Lewis re-signed with the Packers. Rick Wagner on the offensive line helps them out a bit. They did lose an offensive lineman, though, and a, and a couple other small skill position players. But they, yeah, I think for them, they made a lot of their big moves on the defensive end last year. Oh, for sure. And their defense was great was last year. Good, yeah. It was good. I, I feel, though, that their offensive line is going to take a step back this mm-hmm. year. Um, and they do need a slot wide receiver. Functious is a big physical guy that can go up and win a jump mm-hmm. ball when you're inside the five, which is great. But they need someone working the underneath. A little and, possession. Yeah. And Mercedes Lewis, he's pretty old. So yep. I would. They need a tight end too. So tight end and slot, they'll definitely address in the draft. And and then a team that I think I mean they they haven't done a whole heck of a lot, and they they've lost a lot of players that have been key contributors for them for over the last couple of years. That's the Minnesota Vikings. Um, they signed kicker Dan Bailey, um, CJ Ham. They bring back fullback uh, safety Anthony Harris, offensive tackle Rashad Hill. Uh, Michael Pierce, the DT, Tajay Sharp, wide receiver, and Eric Wilson, linebacker. But they've lost some key pieces on the defensive end, 
And Stefan Diggs is gone now So that, that's that's a big wide receiver Loss for them also I think they maybe take a little step back To kind of, you know, just average Maybe even slightly below average this year I felt last year They did really well And yeah. they, they pound the ball with Cook And everyone was saying that that was Stefanski Actually, they incorporated Gary Kubiak, the guy that used to be the coach for the Broncos and coach for the um, Texans, right? Texans. Yeah. They incorporated his zone blocking scheme. And that's what allowed Cook to have that big breakout year like he had last year. And they're going to be running that same system. And Mike Zimmer likes running the ball 30, 40 times a game. So, I mean, is losing digs that big? Yeah, you're right. Maybe, maybe it doesn't hurt them. As much with the with the style of football that they want to play, and he's a headache when he doesn't get the ball, he complains so much. Yeah, and maybe it's just a locker room move. My biggest fear on offense for them is the numbers Thielen puts up when he plays the slot versus outside are night and day. If they move him to the outside, he's going to take a huge step backwards in terms of fantasy value. If they keep him working the slot, working the underneath, he's going to put up the same numbers that he has been putting up. Like, I mean, this wide receiver depth in the draft is insane. Yeah, there so are, it's almost like it feels that, like, the Texans and the Vikings were just like, hey, you know what? We can just get somebody for cheaper in the draft and not yeah. put up with a headache. And they just got to hope they get the right, they get the right piece. Um, yeah. So we'll move on from the NFC North to the NFC East. Yeah. And we will start with the Cowboys. So Dallas... The the big thing that Dallas has done so far is they you know they re-signed Amari Cooper obviously and then they put the exclusive franchise tag on Dak Prescott. Uh, they signed a, a deal with cornerback uh, Anthony Brown, Clinton Dick safety. They brought in, uh, re-signed the kicker Kai Forbath, signed uh, Blake Jarwin, Sean Lee linebacker re-signed, Joe Looney center guard. Um, they brought him back, Gerald McCoy. Um, defensive tackle, Deon Terry Poe, defensive tackle, and Darian Thompson. So they've been busy, and but a lot of moves, just kind of bringing back pieces that were key for them. Um, what do you where do you stand with Dallas? Frederick retiring, you're losing an All Pro center. Is, yeah, that's huge. And I'm not a I'm not a Prescott guy at all. I'm, I'm not, not a Prescott really guy either. at all. I kind of feel like we were talking about with Jimmy G. Like I think Dak is better, like a little bit more talented, but I'm not. I could go either way on him, you know. It just depends. Like he's one of the guys that I guess it just depends on when you click in the game to watch him because he's looked so great sometimes, and then other times he just looks like a guy. Yeah, and the question is, do you feel he can lead a team to the Super Bowl? My, I say no. I don't think he can. And I feel like last year I felt they had a great roster, one of the more talented rosters, and the only position that was really holding them back was the quarterback play. Yeah, because I feel like we, you know, we we wanted to, to pile on the coach a whole heck of a lot in that situation. But when you're the quarterback and you're out there and you're the one really calling the plays and you're the one that's able to make a change and you're the one that's able to see things, like if you're a good, a great leader, you have to be able to to help that out a little bit better, to bridge that relationship a little bit better. Even if your coach is weighing you down, you got to be able to see, kind of see that, and maybe rise above it. And and he's never really done that so far. And so maybe with a new coach, with a new scheme, we can give them an opportunity. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of with you. I'm, I'm eh, on Dallas. I'm always just kind of like in. I, I never really love them, and I always think that they're going to get. You know, they're always going to be a little undervalued because of who they are, Dallas. And um, 
and, and we'll see if they're able to uh, kind of work anything out with and, that. And when you bring in a new coach that was away from the game, when you're away from the game, you're not learning and seeing the transformation that the game is taking firsthand. And how much was McCarthy actually studying the game and putting in work to make adjustments to his system, or is he just sitting there? I don't know. So I'm kind of lukewarm on this hire. I don't really – it could either go great or it could go bad. I mean, I know he's won a Super Bowl and everything, but I just – I don't know how much work he did when he wasn't working last year. Let's go to the New York Giants. Uh, they agreed to a three-year, $45 million deal with cornerback James Bradbury. They signed DB Nate Ebner, linebacker uh, Kyler Fackerel, uh, tackle Cam Fleming, Deion Lewis, running back, will give him a little change of pace for uh, Barkley. Um, Blake Martinez, linebacker, three-year, $30 million deal, linebacker David Mayo, they re-signed. Colt McCoy, uh, backup quarterback there for them, and uh, Toilo who uh, tight end agreed to a, a two-year deal. Uh, Leonard Williams, they put the franchise tag on, on their defensive line. So they've been, you know, they've been active. I thought Deion Lewis might give him a nice little change of pace to help Barkley if he needs to, to be spelled for a, a few. Um, I guess for them, they're going to kind of go as far as their quarterback will take them. Uh, do you think the Giants show any improvement this year? What do you think of what they've done? I love the Giants. I actually like the Giants in at plus 725 nice. to win the East. Nice. The main thing with Bradbury, Bradbury – is going from covering Michael Williams and Julio Jones to covering what a lead wide receiver besides Amari Cooper in that division. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Philly, not a whole lot. Washington, not a whole heck of a lot. So that's I a mean, great point. And he could, you can put him on the best wide receiver and he can lock that down. Now, Clowney has said Giants are on top of his list. If they can add that pass rusher, add him. And... They're in a great position. All the mock drafts say they're getting Isaiah Simmons from the Clemson, who's, in my eyes, probably the best defensive player on the board, who's going to be a game changer at this level. And then you add um, Garrett's offense, and Garrett is going to utilize the tight end. He, more than he's a fine Sherman. coordinator. You know what? He's just not a good head coach. He can, exactly. he's, he's fine in this role. He really is. Exactly. So Ingram's going to have a good year. You have Ingram. They're going to use the tight end more. You're going to get Barkley the ball more. And then you have Lewis to come in and spell him as a third down back. I actually love what the Giants are doing. And like I said, I locked a bit of plus 725 to win the division. And and we, uh, yeah, it's just not the strongest division either. They, they don't feel like they have to improve a whole lot. And every year we see it in the NFL, there are a couple teams that were really bad the, the one year. And the next year they're in the, in the playoff hunt. And you know what? This year with the expanded playoffs, we're we're gonna get an opportunity to see a couple extra teams make the uh, make the postseason. Let's go to the Philadelphia Eagles. Who I mean, they were just such a banged up year for them last year. It was amazing that they were still able to get there. Um, every every week they were just new set of wide receivers, new set of running backs, and we didn't know any of them. Um, some of their moves signed uh, Jatavius Brown, linebacker. Uh, Hargrave, they um, agreed to a three-year, $39 million deal uh, Roddy McLeod, safety Jalen Mills, safety Will Park, safety Nicole Roby Coleman, cornerback Darius Slay, cornerback um, And the Sudfeld for backup quarterback So their defense They strengthen the hell out of their defense um, Especially their secondary I, being a line fan I love big play Slay I actually have a big play Slay jersey <laughs> Nice um, He can 
play zone, man-to-man, be physical, high point a ball. He can do everything. But he's 30 years old, and they signed him for, it was like $16 million a year. Now he's the highest paid yeah, three-year, $50 million. So they yeah. definitely paid $30 million guaranteed. That's the one thing we've seen with a lot of these deals, especially the deals that happen early in, in um, free agency. A lot of them, they're paying sticker price. You know, oh, they're playing. They're, they're, there's no discount prices, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. None at all. And I like Hargrove. I, he's going to fit perfectly in the 4-3 system. He's playing out of position, I feel, in the 3-4 system at Pittsburgh. But I like them. He's going to immediately improve that defensive line. But still, like you mentioned, the big thing is wide receiver. I really thought that they'd at least play, make a play for Robbie Anderson because they need that deep, deep threat in that offense because the offense works so much better with the deep threat. And last year with DJAC being hurt, they didn't have that. So them not going after Robbie Anderson surprised me. But, I mean, with like I said before, with how deep this wide receiver class is, they're probably just going to go after a wide receiver in this class. And then and, go, oh, go and ahead, go ahead. Carson Wentz worries me just because it seems like he's hurt all the time. Yeah, it's his health, you know. He, he, I, I don't, when he's on the field, I trust him, you know, for the most part. I think he does a great job when he's out there. I don't, if, if I need him late in the game to, to drive down and, and get a touchdown, I feel like he's the type of guy that could do it. But what do they say sometimes? The best ability is availability. And we haven't seen him do it yet for a full year. Oh, he, yeah. And then, then he gets hurt in that playoff game. Mm-hmm. And the year they won it, it was all fools. He was fools. I mean, so, he was great early, and then it was fools down the stretch. Yeah. Like, you have to, you have to wonder if they made the right decision by keeping Wentz. Mm-hmm. If, he get, if he gets hurt this year, you have to wonder if they made, made the right decision. So that, that's my big worry with Philly. And then to close out the uh, the NFC East, Washington. You know, Washington's a team I've been hearing a little bit of buzz about. Um, their their defense. They at least have a little bit more talent. They seem like on their roster, they're bringing in some some defensive pieces that are okay. They brought in backup quarterback Kyle Allen to maybe help. Kyle Allen was good in his first couple of games. I guess. Serviceable in his first couple games for Carolina And then he kind of fell off Uh, Peyton Barber they signed running back to a two year deal Sean Davis the safety Thomas Davis linebacker Kendall Fuller cornerback Cody Latimer Wide receiver JD McKissick running back uh, Kevin Pierre Lewis linebacker uh, Brandon Scherf guard and Wes Schweitzer Guard so um, those are the moves That the the Redskins have made The big thing with the Redskins is what what are they going to do With Trent Williams are they going to be able to trade him for a third Round pick or are they just going to release him That's the first thing they have to figure out what they're going to do with him the signing of Barber tells me that's the end of Geis. And I loved Geis when he came out of LSU, but again, unlucky the last just few years. Bad luck, man, with the with the injuries. It's just he some some it just you just never get the opportunity. He's never just had an opportunity to get going. You know, he's never been just out of the blocks at all. Every time it feels like he has a good game or a little spurt and then he's out of the game and we see him on the sidelines and we're all we're already assuming that he that he's injured. So um, there's your NFC East And then we're going to jump into the division That has made the most splash so far That's that's the NFC South Man, we have three teams in particular That are going to look quite a bit different um, Let's start out And we're going alphabetically Let's start out with the Atlanta Falcons So Atlanta, they had a weird year last year They, they, they had a couple of really good games They had a little spurt where they played pretty well They beat a couple good teams But they have to have been considered a disappointment now they're going to bring in just a couple moves. Uh, DT, Tyler Davison, Dante Fowler Jr. on the edge comes in. They get Todd Gurley. You know what? And for the price, a one-year $6 million deal, 
it's it's kind of a not a bad swing. He hasn't been the same girly maybe the last year and a half, but if you're not paying him a whole heck of a lot and he's kind of maybe approve it, maybe he's got a little chip on his shoulder trying to prove that he's still healthy. They bring in Hayden Hurst from the Ravens because the Ravens were just loaded with tight ends. What do you think about uh, the Falcons? I like the Falcons a lot. I like the girly signing a lot. Yeah. Just because in Dirt Cutter's running scheme, he's more of a power running scheme. That's why Devontae Freeman didn't fit in last year because Freeman's a zone, a zone runner. And it would be funny. You'd watch Freeman run and he just plow right get into the back of the offensive lineman. It was the funniest thing watching a Falcons game last year. And he's gonna face Gurley's gonna face less eight in the box because they're gonna have to account for Ridley, Hayden Hurst, and uh, Julio. So I really feel that they're putting him. This is the best spot for Gurley. My one concern with the Falcons is Dirk Cutter. Yep. If you watch the Falcons last year, it was really weird. When they were ahead, they played fast. And when they're behind, they played slow. And Dirk Cutter is kind of scummy. Like, he was the offensive coordinator for the Bucks back in the day when during the Lovey Smith days. And he completely was the reason Lovey got fired. And I felt last year when I was watching the Falcons with how he was calling the plays, he was kind of doing the same thing with Quinn. But – you know, Quinn kept them on the defensive end. I love how they brought in Fowler. I also love how they took – I'm spacing on the guy's, guy's name. Um, Raheem, Raheem Morris was yeah. an offensive coach last year. They moved him to the DB coach last year. Defense immediately approved the last couple of games. Now he's the DC. So I really like what they're doing. And I'm not going to lie, if Dirk Cutter wasn't there, I would definitely have a future bet on this team to win the Super Bowl. A lot of movement and a new quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. Um, for as long as we can remember, it's been Cam Newton back there. MVP got him to the Super Bowl. Now it's going to be Teddy Bridgewater calling the plays. They bring in wide receiver Robbie Anderson, safety Trey Boston, wide receiver Farrell Cooper, uh, tight end Seth DeValve, uh, guard John Miller, offensive line Russell Okung, Seth Roberts from the wide receiver. Uh, PJ Walker, quarterback who actually comes in Was playing in the XFL uh, Seth we- uh, Stephen Weatherly, defensive end And then Tahir Whitehead, linebacker So they've been active And the big moves that everyone's going to notice are you know, Obviously Bridgewater, Anderson, and Okung Who has been a little banged up But when he's good, he's still a very capable Offensive lineman So this team's going to look a lot different I'll be honest, I have no idea what they're doing Yeah I There's only one football On the offensive side and you bring in Robbie Anderson, who's a, he's a one-dimensional wide receiver who just goes deep. And you got Bridgewater, who I am not a Teddy Bridgewater fan at all. I think he signed for way too much money, to be honest with you. And he doesn't throw the ball down the field at all. So that move doesn't make sense to me. And also, I honestly feel P.J. Walker is more mobile. And the offense would look better if P.J. Walker was the quarterback one, or if they would have signed Chase Keenum instead and just let Chase just game manage it and use that money to shore up the offensive line or do the defensive line. I just really have no idea. They're kind of, you're right. They're kind of like just throwing some things at the wall and seeing what sticks. It doesn't seem like they really have a, a game plan moving forward. Are we going to go all in and try to win or are we going to rebuild? It seems like they're kind of just kind of piecing things together. Um, versus like having a, a set uh, a set plan. strategy, yeah, like, exactly. Like they just don't have a plan. It's like let's just 
let's just see what happens. And that's what I don't know. So it's really, it's really weird to me. Also, McCaffrey, he touched the ball over 400 times last year and over 300 the year before. That's going to start to catch up with him. Yeah, at some point, right? It's going to wear on him now, soon, you know, and, and you need some other pieces to start to kind of alleviate that workload from him. Uh, and you're right. He's, he, he's unbelievable that how durable he's been. It really is impressive that he's just been able to, to keep going um, and, and sustain this over the last couple of years. And we'll see if he can continue next year. Is they're going to have, they're going to be in a tough division with a team like the Saints who uh, they bring back Breeze. Uh, Taysom Hill uh, plays a first round tender Safety Malcolm Jenkins um, DT Onyemeta uh, Offensive tackle Andrews Pete They signed uh, Emmanuel Sanders Who could be a nice fit there I mean we haven't and then they bring in a, a DJ Swearinger one year deal There hasn't really been another good Receiver opposite Michael Thomas In a while and Emmanuel Sanders Might be able to I mean with Michael Thomas There he's going to be open quite a bit I The Saints I think they did a great job. I think bringing in Sanders, this is going to be the best sidekick yep. that Thomas has had. And Peyton, he's a pretty smart guy. He's pretty smart on the offensive end. When he gets to the playoffs, he kind of messes around a little bit too much for my liking and calls. A little I too cute. Yeah, he gets a little too cute. I mean, in my eyes, the Saints for the last three, last two years, not counting this year, so the last two years, they've had the most talented roster. And the fact they haven't won a Super Bowl is crazy to me. And I really feel in situations in the playoffs, Peyton does get too cute. Like, why is I Taysom Hill in the game in critical situations trying to make a play? That doesn't make sense to me. I'd rather have Drew Brees throwing the yeah, ball, yeah. getting the ball to Michael Thomas, getting the ball to Kamara. But um, I like how they kept their offensive line intact because I felt their offensive line was an underrated group. I'm sorry, man. Alexa, stop. I'm no sorry, problem. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Um, I really felt their offensive line was keeping them intact was really important. I love what they're going to do. I think they're going to win, the, at least make the playoffs, probably win the division. But that first playoff game, they're going to be a straight bet against again, like they were this past year. So that's and, my and take on the scenes. The big one, the TB, TB, Tom Brady going to look a little weird. In a uniform that is not a New England Patriots uniform, Tom Brady signs with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers two years, $50 million guaranteed. Uh, they also bring uh, bring back Shaq Barrett, who was awesome last year. Um, offensive line Joe Haig, linebacker Kevin Minter, edge rusher Jason Pierre-Paul resigns, and then they bring back Domicon Sue uh, on a one-year deal. So uh, a couple pieces on the defense, but obviously the big one here is Brady, who's going to have a, you know, the best wide receivers maybe that he's ever had to throw to. Um, yeah. My main thing is a, on January 5th, I put in a bet at 20 to one that he would go to the bucks. So I nice. am thrilled. He nice. Well done. Um, but this isn't the same Tom Brady that no. was four years ago. And no. he really can't throw the ball down the field. I think it really helps Godwin a lot. I think I have Godwin third on my board right now because Godwin works a slot more. I think Mike Evans' fantasy value is going to go down. And Tampa Bay right now is 15 to 1 to win the Super Bowl, which is way too low for me. Yeah. And people are drinking the Kool Aid way sure. too much. I think the bigger thing for them was getting Sue to re sign on a one year deal for only $8 million because they were so good against the run last year. 
And them being able to stop the run and putting pressure on the quarterback is going to help that young secondary out a lot. But this is a tough division. This it this isn't the AFC AFC East that have weaker quarterbacks. I actually bet Tampa Bay under nine and a half wins. Yeah, they're going to take a ton of money. They're going to be a buzz team. Everyone's going to see Brady, and they're going to they're going to bet them. They're just going to get a lot of popular money this year. So they're going to be a good team to maybe kind of fade a little bit um, as we move from the NFC to the AFC, and we'll start with the AFC West, and we will start with the Denver Broncos in the AFC West. So Denver, the big move that Denver made was bringing in Melvin Gordon, two years, sixteen million dollar deal. Uh, they acquire A.J. Boye in a trade with the Jags uh, Defensive line, Jarrell Casey um, Offensive guard, Graham Glasgow Sean Martin, punter And then tight end, Nick Vanette Those are the moves that the Broncos have made They're they're never a team that seems far away um, I, It's going to, for them, it'll come down to you know their, what their quarterback play looks like But I guess it was weird to me that they brought in Gordon Because they seemed like they were okay with the two backs that they've had the last few years But they uh, they want to bring in Gordon. I love the Denver Broncos. I love that they brought in Gordon to be the bell cow. I never was a Philip Lindsay guy. I thought he he's got to be a change. He can't be your one. He can't be yeah. your one. I just don't think. I yeah. I I love it. I actually really like Drew Locke. When I watch a quarterback, a first year quarterback, I watch their ball velocity and it, and if it floats and if they're stepping into the throws. I'm telling you, he steps into the throws and he's transferring that weight to the left foot. And I love how he zips it in there. And they're just adding another weapon, and they're putting a second-year quarterback in a position to succeed. They got that tight end, Noah Flant. They got Cortland Sutherland on the outside. They have a first-round pick. I bet they're probably going to draft a wide receiver. They're just surrounding Locke with pieces to succeed. I actually got them at 10-1 to to win the West. I love what they're doing. And if their offensive line can stay healthy because they kept that intact and added a couple pieces, I think they're going to do great. And their defense – is always salad. I mean, granted they lost Harris, but they should be they'll be able to replace him in house easily. The Super Bowl champs never easy to, to win back to back. The Chiefs will try to do that. Um, they sign Antonio Hamilton, cornerback, to a one year deal. Chad Henney, backup quarterback, resigns on a two year deal. Uh, D tackle Chris Jones and running back Damian Williams. Uh, they picked up the option for him. So not a whole lot with the team who just won. I mean, when you have the a quarterback like Mahomes for them it's kind of like you're always going to be in it with a guy like Mahomes and with some of the skill positions that they have they're pretty well set up for a while yeah I mean Mahomes I I love him he took it yeah I was never a Mahomes guy the first year but no me neither he he he, he won me over though man he oh, really yeah. did yeah especially in that the uh, Texans game when they were down that 21 to zero and you saw him on the sidelines rallying up the troops just confident that, yep yeah. That's when he won me over. The The three things with them are, A, they're going to run in next year to the same issue the Rams are having because they have that the big money. contract yep. with Sammy Watkins and Tyree Kill. Losing Fuller in the secondary hurts. And is Jones going to sign the franchise tag or not? If he does, like losing Jones would be huge. If Jones, Jones holds out on the franchise, that's going to be a big loss for them. I actually locked. I'm sorry. I forgot. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I actually did. I locked in under 11 and a half wins on them at plus 105. Yeah. Their division, I feel like, is going to be better because 
just overall, because we feel like the Denver Broncos are going to improve. I actually don't mind what the Chargers have done, even losing Phillip Rivers, and they're going to be still competitive. They're not. They're not a bad team. And the Raiders are the next team we're going to talk about. The Las Vegas Raiders now. They signed Nelson Aguilar to a one-year deal Um, Cornerback Eli Apple Defensive tackle Malik Collins uh, Safety Jeff Heath Offensive lineman Eric Cush uh, Kwiatkowski linebacker Corey Littleton from the Rams linebacker Marcus Mariota as kind of the backup quarterback Or to battle for for a starting job Um, Carl Nassib defensive end And then Jason Witten the veteran tight end So They've been busy. There are a couple spots that they seem like they filled. They were kind of ahead of schedule last year. I mean, this was a team that wasn't far away from making the playoffs until they had that really bad stretch late in the year. Um, what do you think about them moving to, to Vegas and, and Gruden? And what do you think about the Raiders this year? The best way I can sum up the moves they did is none of them are sexy, but they're just solid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing with me they is filled their, their holes. They did. They yeah. did. Yeah. Nothing was nothing was sexy, just solid. I really don't understand why they're bringing in all these tight ends of O'Leary and Witten when they have Darren Waller. And obviously, I think this is the end of the Derek Carr era with all the rumors about trying to get Tom Brady. And now you bring in Mariota. It wouldn't surprise me if they replaced him. And the big thing with me and Derek Carr are always going to be the what if. The 2016 Raiders, I love that team. I actually had a huge future on them. And I felt they're the best team in the NFL, but that was the year that he got hurt. broke his fibula. And, and then we got that horrible playoff yeah. game where it was backup quarterback against backup oh quarterback God. on the Texans, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 So with him, it's always going to be what if, but I really feel this is going to be the end of the road of him, of his tenure in the Raider, with the Las Vegas Raiders this year. And in the Los Angeles Chargers, we know that the big difference for them this year is going to be no Phillip Rivers uh, under center. It looks like it's going to be Tyrod Taylor right now. We're not sure if maybe they're the type of team that maybe takes a run on a Cam Newton because maybe Cam Newton and Tyrod Taylor are kind of similar players that can run that are mobile a little bit. So you don't have to necessarily change the offense if if they're going to be your your quarterback and, and backup. They bring in offensive lineman Brian Bulaga, who their offensive line has been atrocious. That'll help. They sign Eckler, who I love. I mean, Eckler is really, really good. But can he be? We, I guess, we will see. Can he take the the pounding every game under center and catch the ball? He's really, really good. Chris Harris, cornerback, and they play in the franchise tag on Henry, who's an awesome tight end, but he gets banged up a, a little too much. Offensive guard Trey Turner, and then defensive tackle Linville Joseph. Um, what do you think about the Chargers? They shored up the offensive line yep. and their defense what was their defense. Their defense was what top five last year, top six. It's always good. Yep. So, and you add a good DB in Harris. So they're basically just covering the basics. I really don't know if they're, are they going to take a quarterback in the draft and then kind of have Taylor, like he was in Cleveland be, Hey, start the season. Or Maybe the bridge the quarterback. Yeah. Um, I don't know what they're going to do in terms of fantasy. Eckler was a beast last year, but God, Rivers so yeah. checked the ball down so much. So if they get a, a younger guy, so if, let's say they draft that Jordan Love, someone with a bigger arm. I, and not Eckler's the best decision maker, you know, who's, tr- who's yeah. forcing it a little bit. Yeah. yeah. But Eckler's PPR value will will go down a little bit. Like I, I, I think he's a good third down back. I think he can catch the ball in the backfield. But I have my questions about him being an RB bell cow. RB1 bell cow back. We move from the AFC West to the AFC North. And I mean, the team that was the best team in football almost the whole year last year 
was the Baltimore Ravens. They beat the crap out of good teams, and they they definitely shored up their defense. They bring in Michael Brockers, defensive tackle, three-year, $30 million deal. They make a trade to bring in Calais Campbell. Uh, they traded with the Jags. They bring in edge rusher Matt Judon, uh, center Matt Skura, cornerback Jimmy Smith, and then defensive end Jihad Ward. So for a team who was already good, that's a lot of moves on the defensive side of the ball. I just blows my mind that the Jags got a fifth round for Campbell. It just, that move is a Hopkins-level type. What the heck are you yeah. doing? Did you even call anybody? Anyone else or just, oh, that's or what they offer. Like, first offer, boom, we're taking it. Um, so having him being able to get to the quarterback and stop the run, that's huge. My big questions, um, I know they lost the offensive lineman. I'm spacing on his name to retirement. Oh, my God. I'm speaking. Yada. They lost him to retirement. Yada. Yada. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be huge. And as the season progressed, teams got more tape on Lamar. And what is Lamar's next step going to be? How is he going to transcend? Because you know how it is. Everyone gets more tape on you. They figure out your offense, figure out your tendencies. What's the next step? What are you going to do to combat that? That's my big question with Baltimore. And also, I feel... What's going to happen when the running back, Mark Ingram, he deteriorated as the year went on. Are they going to draft one? Are they just going to let uh, Justice Hill be the RB1 now? So they have a couple questions for me. Also, Jackson funneled the ball to the tight end a lot. In the NFL, you need to have someone on the outside that can make a play. So they definitely need to add some wide receiver help. The next two teams have been really active uh, Generally we don't see the Bengals making a whole lot of moves in free agency They spend a good amount of money They didn't. They don't make a ton of deals But they bring in um, cornerback Mackenzie Alexander They bring in safety Von Bell Three year $18 million deal They place a franchise tag on AJ Green They have a four year $53 million deal with D-tackle uh, DJ Reader And then a three year $42 million deal With Trey Wayne So they, uh, they locked up a couple of big contracts and the big thing with them is Jonah Williams, who is going to play left tackle. He was hurt all last year. So they got him in the draft. He's coming back. And everyone seems to forget about it because when they talk about them drafting Joe Burrow, oh, what's the line going to look like? Well, you have a first-round talent player from last year coming back, and then they're going to address the, the line in the second and the third-round pick in this year's draft. I – Really like the Bengals. I they're a little sneaky. I think they're going to improve a lot. They they have I, the opportunity to, yeah. I think Joe Mixon, behind an improved offensive lineman, I'll call it right now, is going to be a top five fantasy back next year. Right next door is the Cleveland Browns. And, you know, they were the, the buzz team last year, and you sniffed out that you thought that you just thought they were a good team to play against um, in a lot of their over-unders and, and a lot of like week-to-week situations. We were on them a couple different times together, and, and their talent is there. And maybe now with a new coach and some some new acquisitions this year, so they, they bring in Andrew Billings, defensive tackle, Jack Conklin. That's a huge move for them on the offensive line, an offensive line that was bad. They bring in linebacker B.J. Goodson, one-year deal, tight end Austin mm-hmm. Hooper, uh, running back Kareem Hunt. They placed a second-round tender on Andy Janovich, fullback, um, Kevin Johnson, cornerback, Carl Joseph, safety, Case Keenum is the backup quarterback, and Andrew Sandejo, safety. So they've been they've been pretty busy. I, The only move I don't like is the Austin Hooper move. I love how they brought in Coughlin. I think he was the best free agent on the market, in my opinion, because – 
football, even at the highest level, is one inside the trenches, and he's going to be a lockdown guy on that line. So I love that. The Hooper move, I understand, is Stavonsky's offense. They like to do, use two tight ends. But you already have David Njoku. You already have Beckham. You already have Landry. You have enough offensive weapons. Why not use that money to get another defensive lineman, get another offensive line, offensive lineman, and then just get a tight end in the draft? And then also, I kind of like the Keenum signing because that's a veteran that has won, that has won playoff games. Sure. He's going to be able to put a little pressure on Mayfield because – this is a make or break year for Mayfield in my 100%, 100%. If, if he falls in his face, he's in my eyes, he's out. So, I mean, I really like how they brought him in to try to push him. I don't like Mayfield that much, but there was a couple things he did last year. I thought he at least tried to take some of the blame off Beckham and off some other guys as the season went on and try to put it on himself. So at least he's trying to be a leader, but, I mean, the off-the-field stuff, about the Cheesecake Factory stuff, I I think this could be the, the last year of Baker. Oh, and then to finish out the division, the Pittsburgh Steelers, they place the franchise tag on edge rusher Bud Dupree. They bring in someone who, who you know a little bit, tight end Eric Ebron, two-year $12 million deal. Uh, the Watt brothers, a couple of them uh, will be teaming up in, in Pittsburgh with Derek Watt signing a three-year deal. Uh, Chris Wormley, defensive tackle, was acquired in a trade, and then uh, with Nwiski, offensive lineman on a two-year deal. I love the Pittsburgh Steelers this year. You're getting a Hall of Fame quarterback back in Big Ben. I The best defense in the league last year. I don't know how they and, did it last year. It was unbelievable. They just kept that, oh, finding ways to stay competitive, you know. And now you're adding Eric Ebron, who's a guy when you're inside the opponent's five who can go up and win a jump ball because they really didn't have that last year. And when Big Ben's been the quarterback, the offense has always kind of funneled through the running back. Have it be Le'Veon Bell a couple years ago when he was healthy. Connor, I expect Connor to have a huge year this year. I, I actually got the Steelers at basically 34-1 to to win it all next year. I mean, Big Ben coming back, they're going to move Juju more into the slot and not to the outside where you can have some mismatches, add in another weapon with Ebron and that defense. I'm – I'm all in on Pittsburgh, man. Eric's high on the Steelers. We move from the AFC North. Two divisions left to speak about. We'll go to the AFC East. And uh, we're going to see a Buffalo Bills team that feels like they're trying to go all in right now. Um, they still might need they a little here and there, a piece or two. But... They agreed to terms on a three-year deal with Mario Addison on the edge. Uh, Vernon Butler, defensive tackle, signs with the Bills on a two-year deal. Stephon Diggs, wide receiver, acquired mm-hmm. in a trade with the Vikings in exchange for a first-round pick, fifth-round pick, sixth-round pick in 2021 for a uh, fourth round. Uh, EJ Gaines, cornerback, one-year deal. Quentin Jefferson, defensive end, signs with the Bills. Uh, backup QB, Sean Mannion. Josh Norman agrees uh, on terms with a one-year deal. And Quentin Spain, offensive guard, Three-year, fifteen-million-dollar contract. So, a team that wasn't far away. They were competitive last year. They have a good defense. They have a lot of things. But I think with all these moves, no matter what, it's still going to always come down to Allen, right? Is he going? Is he accurate? Yeah, that's the question. And with a player like Diggs, you get everyone a player that can run every route in the route tree. He can do everything. But is Allen going to be able? To get him the ball, in the I can right see spot. Diggs getting a little mad at a couple balls flying over his head, oh, right? Like, and he, he getting a little upset get on the sideline. Totally upset. And then, 
I also don't know if they're going to add another running back because the big rumor was Gordon going there. I personally love Singletary. Yep. I love that kid. So I don't know if they're going to add another running back. The, the, also, another key is Duke Williams, that guy on the outside, the wide receiver from Auburn. He's big. He's physical. He can win the jump ball inside the five. I really like him for next year. But you're right. Everything comes down to Allen. Is, is he going to be accurate enough to make the throws? And a team who, I mean, we I got to give it up for, again, for uh, for this team able to win five games last year. Um, I think uh, Flores just did an unbelievable job coaching them. Uh, we know the, the first couple of weeks we were all laughing and joking, talking about this Miami Dolphins team as being an 0-16 team and maybe the worst team in NFL history with uh, you know like some of their uh, point differentials the first couple of weeks and how bad they looked. And, man, he got a lot of these players to really buy in. And now you make a you make some moves and you kind of sure up a, a, some spots here. You re-sign safety Adrian Colbert. You sign a three-year deal offensive tackle Eric Flowers. Um, Gruger Hill, your linebacker. You sign the linebacker, bring in Jordan Howard, running back, two-year $10 million deal. Byron Jones, cornerback, five-year $82 million deal. Another offensive lineman with Ted Karras. Shaq Lawson on the edge, three years, 30. Emmanuel Ogba on the edge, two years, 15. Uh, Brain, uh, Lendon Roberts, linebacker. And uh, Kyle Vanoy, linebacker, four-year, $51 million. So they spent a lot of money here for a team that a lot of people just a year ago thought were, you know, a tanking team rebuilding. They feel good about where they are. They have 14 picks, too. Yeah. So they're going to be a really interesting team of youth and experience. But it all comes down to who's under center. Yep. For me, I am not a Tua guy. I hate his mechanics. Too many injuries for me to even think about him being a quarterback. And I don't know, are they going to use that fifth round pick, take an offensive lineman? Then they still, they have the Steelers pick. Are they going to, that's 20, 25th. Are they going to package that another pick to move up and then take a Herbert? Or are they just going to run out with Fitzpatrick? I really, I really don't know what they're going to do inside the quarterback, but I'm kind of in a holding pattern with them right now. They're over under is at six for wins. If they have someone besides Tua, under center, I'm going to take the over. That's kind of my strategy with them. It's going to be a really weird-looking New England Patriots team this year with uh, no Tom Brady. And even the weird, the one the other day, no Goskowski. Two players that have just been there, it seems like, forever. Uh, won't be there in the locker room this year. Uh, the Patriots do bring in defensive tackle Bo Allen, uh, wide receiver Demir Bird, quarterback, backup QB Brian Hoyer, who, you know what, he might be the starter right now with, with what's on the roster. Uh, safety Devin McCourty, safety Adrian Phillips, um, Matthew Slater, two-year extension, offensive guard Joe Thune, and then uh, Vital, fullback. So the Patriots, what's this team going to look like this year with no Brady? I just don't know what their plan is. I have no idea what they're trying to do, what their plan plan is. I heard someone make an interesting comment to me. I was talking to one of my friends, and the Patriots are notorious for wanting to do their own physicals on players. What, what if they're just kind of waiting this out and just like, hey, we like you, but we want to do our own physical on you? Because they're not someone that takes a risk on people. So I kind of think that's what they may be doing. But are that's the only thing I could think of. I just don't know what their plan is. Yeah, it's going to be a different, a different team this year. No I doubt about it. We'll Phillip see how good though. Belichick is. Yeah, I we'll really I love the, the Phillips signing. I think he's going to be a game changer on defense. I mean, that's the one sign I was like, oh, I, I like that one a lot. But I just no idea what the plan is. The Jets 
Sign center guard Josh Andrews Cornerback uh, Desir Pierre Desir uh, George Fant Tackle uh, Edge rusher on the Jenkins Alex Lewis guard Connor McGovern center Patrick Onwasur linebacker Brashad Perryman a wide receiver To help Sam Darnold a little bit uh, Cornerback Brian Poole And then offensive line Greg Van Roten Where do you stand with the Jets? Um, I think Perryman is going to be the wide receiver one But I'm not a Gase guy I'm not a Darnold guy and I think it's going to be a long, long year, long year in New York. Yeah, I'm not a Gase guy, and you know what? Like people would just assume that at being a USC guy, I'm a Darnold guy, and I've never really been as high as a lot of people are on him. I think um, we'll see. He just he turns the ball over a lot. I'm not quite sure with his decision making all the time. I, I like him. He's a gamer. I think the players around him like him, and I think he can rally the troops sometimes. But um, can he can he just hold on to the ball enough in the NFL um, to to be successful? So now we're going to our final division, and we are to the AFC South. And we'll start the AFC South with the Houston Texans. Uh, talk about a team who's kind of been laughed at a little bit. Um, I'm going to bring on uh, Chad Cooper, who is out in the area, and we're going to focus a lot on Houston. We talk uh, wrestling a little bit too, but just quickly, I mean, I, I don't love really anything that Houston has done. I have no idea what they're doing. Like, did they even offer any Hopkins to anyone else? The Patriots, I think, have like 13 picks. You're telling me the Patriots wouldn't offer a first and a, and a first and a third for Hopkins or first and a fourth? It's like he was like, "Hey, we're just gonna send you here. We're, this is the first offer we got. This is where you're going." Um, so I have no idea. I've never been a Bill O'Brien guy, and I'm surprised that the ownership, after them blowing that lead the way they did, decided to keep him on. There's certain guys that just shouldn't be in charge of player personnel, and O'Brien showing that he's one of them. Yep. And they took on all of David Johnson's contract too. That, I mean, he's getting eleven and a half million dollars a year. Eleven and a half million a year. The only thing is, is O'Brien's not going to want to look like an idiot, so it wouldn't surprise me if he forces the ball to Johnson. A lot this year just to kind of say hey I'm This is why we got him yeah, yeah we're gonna Build our offense around him so they bring In Cobb, Fairbairn uh, Fells, Philip Gaines Vernon Hargraves, David Johnson AJ McCarron, Eric Murray uh, Brent Volley, uh, Bradley Roby And Jalen Watkins but I just Yeah I don't love what, what, what we're Doing with them and we're gonna I'll break them down A little bit more with Chad uh, a, a little Later on so inside the same division A team that's gonna look different With a new man behind center and you know what? They they're they, they didn't make a ton of moves, but the moves they made are are all pretty good and make sense, right? You bring in Philip Rivers, whether you like him or not. I think he you, you give him you give a sh- a little more of a sure quarterback back there. DeForest Buckner acquired via trade with the 49ers, uh, and then offensive tackle Anthony Costanzo and offensive line Raven Clark. So uh, the Colts were good last year, and then it felt early, and they they lost a couple games they probably shouldn't have lost, and then when um. When Brissett got a little bit banged up, he wasn't the same down the stretch. This is a team that, that that's to me is a little bit interesting. I love them. I locked in over eight and a half wins on them. That was my biggest bet so far. Over eight and a half. You bring in Buckner, and the main thing Buckner is going to do is he's going to free up Leonard on the outside. That's going to be the main thing. And Buckner is basically a younger Campbell. He can stop the run. He can get to the quarterback. And that's going to take pressure off a younger secondary. So I love that move. Granted, you give up the 13th pick, but you're not going to get a player of Buckner's level at the 13th pick. 
And then you bring in Philip Rivers, who in my eyes is a, is a slight upgrade over Brissett. Yep. And he's going to have a better offensive line. Immediately upgrade Naheem Hines is going to be like Eckler was last year in the Chargers offense. A lot of checkdowns to him. I was really hoping that Perryman would go. Perryman would go here just to give them a physical wide receiver that can play the underneath. But they're definitely going to have to get another wide receiver just because. Yes, another. They need another. Another. Ty is always. Ty is old. Older. Campbell's always already hurt. They just. They need another weapon for me to bite in that they can win the Super Bowl, but with what everyone else is doing in that division there in my eyes, eight and a half is a no brainer. They're, they're the team to be in that division hands down. Yeah. Because the, the next team we'll talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars, they feel like they're rebuilding because they trade full. So they're going all in on Minshew right now, at least at the moment uh, they bring in uh Denard or Quiz Denard three or 13 million, 13 and a half million dollar deal tight end, Tyler Eifert, who he can catch the ball when he's healthy, but he's, been decimated by injury through his career uh, Defensive lineman Rodney Gunter uh, Cornerback Rashad Melvin Edge rusher Nguakwe, um Linebacker Joe Schober Tyler Shatley Center guard and then defensive tackle Al Woods I got three words for you my friend Sucking for Lawrence yep. I, can, I yeah. mean that I mean, They're I, going all in they, they just look like they're going to be a bad football team this year They're going to be really bad I Yeah they're going to be yeah. really 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 bad I mean they <laughs> that. Basically, those are the three words I have for the Jaguars, sucking for Lawrence. And then we talked a little bit about the, this final team uh, that we're, we'll speak about in the NFL, who they had an unbelievable year last year. They were really, really good. It felt like things went very well for them. They started to overachieve towards the end of the year. And now the Titans bring in uh, Vic Beasley on the edge. They placed a franchise tag on Derrick Henry, who's had a ton of carries and a ton of mileage on him over the last couple of years. Dennis Kelly, offensive tackle. Uh, Tyson Brelo, offensive line, and then Ryan Tannehill, four-year, $118 million contract. If I would have told you one year ago at this moment that Tannehill would be signing a four-year, $118 million deal and that the Titans would have kind of picked Tannehill over Brady and uh, and some others, we would have laughed. But um, this team had a good run, the good end of the year. But from talking to you, I get the feeling that you're not quite as high on them having the same type of run this year. No, nope, I already locked in under eight and a half wins on them. You have Ryan Tannehill, who has two bad knees and a rotator cuff injury, and velocity on his throw was down last year. He's a game manager. Everything broke right for them last year, and they were in a lot of close games, and they got the bounces. So regression is going to come for them. Plus, you lose Conklin, which is huge. I am a huge believer in offensive line, and – Derrick Henry having that season because the offense basically ran through him is after all those touches is unrealistic. And Tannehill's not a guy you can say, Hey, balls on the balls on your own 20. What minute left drive us down when the game, he can't do that. And when you watch the games last year, when they're playing a team and their offensive was clicking. So the chiefs in the playoffs game, they got that early lead. Then when the chiefs offense started clicking, the Titans offense couldn't keep up with them. Because Tannehill's not that quarterback anymore. So I really think this team's going to take a immediately step backwards. And who even knows if Henry's going to sign the franchise tag? I think they'd be better off spending the money on Conklin, locking up Henry on a two- or three-year deal, and then franchising Tannehill or just saying, hey, good run, man. See you later. And then getting somebody else. Eric, 
That was awesome, man. We went through every single team in the NFL, division by division. We talked about their moves. We talked about the some of the, the players that have left, some of their free agent signings, the trades, some of our thoughts on them moving into the season. I really appreciate that, and uh, we'll definitely get you back on as and talk all, all the different sports as we as we will as as sports come back. This this was a, a good conversation though because there's been a lot happening in, in the NFL. So. I really appreciate all the work you put in and I know the fans out there are going to love it because I like to be able to talk when I talk about a sport or football. I don't, I like talking about as many teams as as much of the games as possible because I know that the fans and and people always like to hear the game that they want to talk about or their fan base, what someone thinks, or, you know, not just about for me, would it be the Lakers or the Dodgers? I love being able to talk about all the other teams. So really appreciate it, man. You did a great job. Thanks, man. Anytime you need me. Okay, cool. So uh, hopefully this doesn't go on too long, uh, this uh, quarantine situation. But if it does, and uh, and we know that you've got some time to to kill over there, we're gonna keep bringing you back, and we're gonna keep milking you. Oh, sounds where, good, man. I got where can we find? Where can we find you on social media if we want to follow you? Uh, Twitter, I'm at etoff two one sports, and Instagram, I'm at etoff two one sports underscore. Great follow there uh, on uh, on Twitter and on an Instagram. So thank you, Eric. You have a nice one, buddy. We'll talk soon. Ah, uh, you too, man. That was Eric talking NFL. Let's take a quick break here, hear from one of our sponsors, and we'll be right back with more on That's What She Said. One of the sponsors of That's What She Said podcast is Cindy Carava, full-service realtor, and I am here over in Glendora at Coldwell Banker with Cindy Carava. Cindy, how was 2019 for you? Tell us uh, a little bit about what, uh, what kind of stuff you were working on. Hi, Gino. Thanks for having me. Uh, 2019 was just really great. Uh, I had a great year uh, selling homes all the way from Altadena, Arcadia, Monrovia, out to Upland and Ontario just recently. Um, The market has has been uh, really good. Um, We're looking forward to 2020 with an increase in home prices about 5.8% this year, opposed to last year where it was a little softer. We saw uh, more like homes averaging about 3.5% in increase in value. Um, It's also looking great for buyers. Uh, The interest rates right now are going to be staying under 4%. So if you've been on the fence about thinking about buying a home, Home, now is the time to do so with interest rates still staying low. And you offer more services than just the buying, selling, and leasing homes. Tell us about some of the other services that you offer and what a full service realtor really is. So you're right, Gino. Besides me being uh, a full-service realtor of uh, finding properties for my clients to buy or selling their homes or finding rentals for them, um, I also have a plethora of resources like uh, handyman, contractors, electricians, plumbers. Uh, I even, if like I said, if you're thinking about getting a home loan, I actually work with two great lenders that I can recommend to anybody. And you're all over the internet, social media, websites. Let us know some of the places where we can find you. I know I've seen some reviews on Yelp and on Zillow. They, everyone always has positive things to say. Everybody hears me raving about you all the time. But where can uh, everyone else find out information about you or contact? Thank you, Gino. Yeah, I am on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, and uh, you can contact me on my website, which is www.cindycarava.com. Or my email, which is cindyc.realtor at gmail.com. Or feel free to call or text me on my cell phone, which is 626-394-6400. Cindy is awesome. She's one of the kindest and most genuine people I've ever met. I promise you, you will enjoy every minute you interact with her. So thank you very much, Cindy. Uh, Appreciate all of your support from That's What She Said podcast. 
Thank you, Gino. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you to Eric for that uh, really, really good rundown of all the uh, the NFL free agency moves. And t- these teams have changed so much already. It just it generally just doesn't happen like this in, in football. So this season, going to be a lot of new faces and a lot of new places. Um, next up, interview with Chad Cooper. Now, we recorded this on Thursday, and we recorded this right before the news came out that Roman Reigns, and we talk a lot of wrestling, we talk the East Houston Texans first, we break down some of their moves, we talk about the division a little bit, and then we move into wrestling, we talk about All Elite Wrestling, and then we talk WWE and WrestleMania, but the news came out that Roman Reigns is out of WrestleMania 36, Uh, per wrestling sheet has learned, Roman Reigns will not be part of the Universal Championship match, Um, Roman Reigns did not feel comfortable doing any... um, any more doing anything right now because he is recently recovering from leukemia and he didn't want to risk his health with everything going on with the virus um those who have you know not the best of health are obviously more prone and more likely to get this and then you know it's just not going to be good so roman didn't want to get involved in wrestlemania because of this even it's not going to be with the fans it's just in a match one-on-one probably not the, the greatest idea so this will definitely change things because he was in one of the main event matches, you know, wrestling for the Universal title against Goldberg. Now what's going to happen with Goldberg, there's a couple, you know, different things that, that possibly could happen, but uh, just the heads up that when we, we talked earlier to earlier on Thursday, this news had not come out yet. So we do mention the, the match a little bit, but it's not like we spend a whole, a whole lot of time, but just keep in mind uh, for you wrestling fans, no Roman Reigns. So now... Now this WrestleMania is going to really be a little different. Um, what do they do with Goldberg? Do they sh- kind of shoehorn him into a, another match? Do they have something like uh, you know a match on night one, and then the winner of that goes on to face Goldberg? So we'll, on, on the night on night two, we'll see. There'll be some options, but we'll have to uh, keep an eye on what happens uh, over the next week or so on you know SmackDown and Raw and in uh, going forward WrestleMania next weekend. Let's get to Chad Cooper. We talk Texans. We talk wrestling. Enjoy. Well, we promised he would be back last week because we were talking some wrestling. We didn't get really the chance to talk about the Texans, so we had to bring him back to talk more wrestling and to talk about the Texans again this week. Our good buddy Chad Cooper from the uh, Examiner flag. What else? What else are, are you or where else are you working with? Chorus with right now, Chad. A man of many hats, you know. Right, yeah. If, if I, I've got a camera, I'm in a casino. I'm in a I'm in a wrestling indie wrestling match, you know, taking photos. Uh, the Examiner newspaper, Flag Sports. I do a, a little bit of everything. Okay, so what what's unfortunate is that I'm reading I'm reading this ringer this article from the ringer. It says the five teams that have more questions than answers after the first week of free agency. <laughs> and one of the teams that is on this and not really by a big surprise is the Texans and the the headline for the you know the little page right up about the Texans says each Texans move is more perplexing than the last. So let's go. <laughs> let's go with uh, someone who's a big football guy. You you cover football. You you in and being right there uh, around the Texans. Let's talk about a couple of these moves and then the overall fan base. Like I wonder what the feelings are on, on some of these. First up, DeAndre Hopkins. If you were to say that he's the best wide receiver in football, nobody would really argue with you he's on the short list when you're talking about the best so you know three to five that you want to put in the conversation depending on whose whose year is a little bit better um and and they end up trading 
DeAndre Hopkins to Arizona. You get back David Johnson. You're taking on a lot of money. So this move, first off, um, what were your thoughts on this move? Well, I believe what saved the Texans from continued heartache is the coronavirus. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, it. You know, for a Monday, it dominated. You know, the, the world trends was Bill O'Brien in this move. No one saw this coming. Um, the few people that I talked to that that cover the Texans in and out, you know, still to this day cannot confirm or deny. You know, the Michael Irvin report. You know, a couple of days later that DeAndre had problems with Bill O'Brien. You know, that could be true. I don't know. But it's it was puzzling that he was awarded the GM job after the Kansas City Chiefs playoff game debacle. Uh, You know, let's not forget they were up big in that playoff game. Now, I'm not saying the Texans were going to go on and go to the Super Bowl and win it. But, man, that sure does look bad and how Kansas yeah. City goes on and win the Super Bowl and you have them down big in their own yard. And many thought, hey, okay, this is an out. Uh, Brian's out of here. What did the Texans do? Uh, we're going to officially give Bill O'Brien the GM it, job. We're going to go the opposite way. Yeah. Yeah. It's puzzling, and the fans are very mad, um, and as they should be, because he, he's been a, a star from day one since he came – to Houston, Texas. Uh, he's been great. Um, you know, there's been some times where they were hard on him as they should, because, you know, he, he carried that title as being one of the elite wide receivers you, in you the expect NFL. A lot out of him. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. And he got zero help. And, uh, now he's going to go to a team with a young head coach who is an offensive minded guy with a young quarterback who will get it going. Yes. They're in a tough division, but, I think this guy, you know, even though he's 28, 29 years old, still has, uh, you know, a, a lot of good upside. This was, this is go down. This is going to go down as one of the worst off-season moves in Houston franchise history. Not just football, but baseball, basketball as well. So then, um, not long after this, the, the, one of the next moves that that they make is they sign slot receiver Randall Cobb, three years, twenty-seven million contract, eighteen. 18- Plus million guaranteed And I mean last year He was paid Five million on a one year deal From Dallas he was pretty Good but the I mean if you're just Looking at his numbers they're Not anything incredible they're Certainly not like number one wide Receiver type or or whatever So uh, this move next Is the one that's it's like not Only do you get rid of Hopkins okay so now You got to go find someone else to fill that spot And maybe maybe it's not even someone Right now maybe you look maybe you're gonna say Okay we're looking to a really deep draft of wide Receivers and maybe we can we can maybe take A couple early on and hope that one of them hits Whatever it is but this doesn't Seem like the next like the move To follow the, the Hopkins move this Doesn't feel like a very good one either no, because he's older, and then yeah. you're you're, you're going to guarantee him money until he's 32, 33 years old. And he had a decent season in Dallas, okay. as you sure. said. You know, fifty something catches, seven, eight hundred yards, just a couple of touchdowns. But 
Uh, is he going to be your number one guy? Because look, Will Fuller is on this roster. We know this guy had some talent, but guess what? The last two seasons, he's only played in 18 games. He's never there. A, no. You know, he, he's just not. And this is one of the, you know, I remember talking to you last summer. We were talking about the Houston Texans, that Will Fuller was the guy. The X um, factor, you know? Yeah. Like he, he, he's what? the key. And, and now, he, and it's even worse now when you're going to have to really, really depend on him and Cobb. Like these are, these are the two that you're going to be depending on. Like I just, it still seems like you're going to be a, a skill player or two, another pass catcher or two short there. Yeah, and I think they're they're still open for wide receiver. Sure. That's why I thought Emmanuel Sanders would be a perfect fit, you know, and they let that go by. And, you know, what, David Johnson, you're, you're paying him $11, $12 million now. Uh, yeah, they're thinking maybe he can go back to his 2016 season when 1,200 yards, 20 touchdowns, but – then he's injury riddled. He he missed most of the season because of a wrist that injury. Feels, that feels like forever ago, right? Yeah. And, and what is he, is he going to be the number one back? I thought you had Duke Johnson back there. I thought you had, you know, you're, you're filled with running backs. And, yeah, he's going to catch a lot of balls out of the backfield because, you know, they, they've taught Deshaun Watson uh, not to run as much, to throw that out and, and use the running back. But I still think they're they're a, they're a pass rusher away. You know, they're certainly not going to go uh, uh, clowny, even though he's available. That That's not going to happen. And if you look at the wide receivers who are available, uh, sir, there's not any out there that are worth anything. And guess what? You don't have a first-round draft pick. No no top you know? picks. Yeah, that's your right. Not happening. So, You're right. Uh, yeah. Oh, boy. This <laughs> is, this is what's happened trouble. in previous years for not really having, like you talked about, like not really having the good line of, like, Okay, this is what the leadership looks like here. This, you know, we've got president, GM, all the way down. It was, it was very like fuzzy. It was fogged. It was muddy. It was like who was making the decisions? Who was making the ultimate decisions up until recently? Now we know it's so Ryan and these decisions. I mean, and even one of the other ones where you know, um, DB Eric Murray, who sure. you know, like he's kind of like a mixed. This is one that could kind of go either either way, you know. It's like seems like a lot for someone that the Chiefs were willing to get rid of. Um, you know, I, I the Hopkins one is probably the one that you know the people will 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 realize the most. But it just didn't feel like like I didn't love any of the moves that I that I've seen from Houston so far in the off season. No, and, and bringing in Murray, you know, uh, you know he had a decent season, I think, for the Cleveland Browns. Um, but you know, I, I think Houston kind of got burned with Honey Badger a little bit. Yeah, yeah, he's that name. He just didn't have a very good stint in Houston. I don't think he liked this uh, this defensive scheme that Romeo Cornell does. Maybe Murray does. I know they signed a, a defensive back from the Chargers, uh, but has ACL issues. Um, you know, they bring uh, Vernon Hargraves back. You know, he was injury. Uh, you know, he, 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 I think he started two games for Houston last year. So it's ugly for the, uh, for the Texans. And if you look at the division, yeah, Jacksonville gave up a lot of people. But look how many draft picks are in their back pocket right now. Those yeah. guys are loaded for future talent. Loaded. And you mentioned Jacksonville a little bit. So, they're a team that feels like they're kind of maybe going to 
tank or just tank kind of really rebuild because they traded oh, yes. off absolutely they traded absolutely. off Foles. they traded off a couple of their defensive pieces um and it looks like they're gonna give the the reins to Minshew, which is fine like Minshew did a sure. good job Minshew, Minshew did a, a respectable job you know but they just don't feel like a team that's going all in and then the, the kind of the opposite from uh the other two teams the first on jacksonville they're probably going to be pretty bad this year yes absolutely and uh, and then the other two teams in the division Strange So Tennessee was really good at the end of the year When when they made the change to Tannehill Can you, can you imagine if we were talking Like a year ago <laughs> Saying that Tannehill was going to get the kind of contract That he got just a year ago Right, hundred million dollar <laughs> quarterback in the NFL Yeah And and like basically They had the opportunity to go out And get a couple of these other quarterbacks Because I mean there were so many quarterbacks that moved around And they seemed like Tannehill was there, no doubt about it. Choice. So it's like if you would have said they had the opportunity to, to maybe bring in a Tom Brady or a Rivers or a Bridgewater or someone, and they're going, you know what? We like Tannehill. We're gonna we're gonna stick with <laughs> yeah. him. And uh, and they 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 tag uh, Henry. So they're gonna just try to roll back the same team that had a lot of good success towards the end of the the season for the most part. And they're gonna hope that maybe with a full slate, um, that that they'll be good. But Things went really, really well for them. It's hard in the NFL for things to go that well, you know. Again, like towards again, the end of the season. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. But, but I know. What do you think about the, about the Titans? You know, I I like Henry. I, I, I you know, I, I was I, I didn't buy into them. I know that was the hype, and that you know they were the hot team. You know, even though Kansas City was, you know, putting up all these points, I said, well, you know, Tennessee is probably you know there was a lot of people who lost a lot of money on the Tennessee Titans because I knew a lot of people who bet big money straight up in that Kansas City game, and, and they just got shut down. And, look, Henry's a stud. He is. Uh, you know, you're in, you're out. You know, he's a year older. Running back years are kind of like dog years. Yeah, you know, these knees and these feet, man. I'm, if something I'm a little worried. Him, yeah, you know? yeah. I, I, don't, I don't love the – it's just – I don't know. It feels like – I didn't feel like this group could get it all the way done. Right, it no, still felt no. to me like they were they were a good team that I wouldn't have been shocked if they could have beaten anyone in a one game situation. But I never was sure that they could win th- maybe like three or four of these big playoff games in a row if they had to. And 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 I don't know going all in with this same group as you mentioned that w- one of these seasons or at some point Henry is gonna it's gonna start to weigh on him. What's what sure. he's done the last couple of years? I mean, they, he has been incredible. He runs right at you. He's not like secretive about what he's gonna do. It's just like I'm coming. Try to get me. You can't. These hits have got to start to add up at some point. So I'm I'm a little worried about them. I think they'll be. I don't. They're not gonna be a bad team. I don't think. But I'm not sure if they're gonna be. You know, like a perennial playoff team w- with these two guys locked up. So the, even even with that, like the division still feels kind of wide open because the Colts might be in the <laughs> driver's seat right now. Even with the, uh, Philip Rivers, who wasn't very wasn't great last year, but he might be in a better spot here to just if he doesn't make as many mistakes. And that should still probably be a little bit of an upgrade over what the Colts had for you know probably half of the year. Last year, so the division kind of seems weird. What do you think about the Colts? Yeah, you know, 
changing scenery once you've been somewhere for most of your career, I mean, it's it's 50-50. It's either really, really good for you or it really doesn't work out. And from everything that I hear and I read is they're very high on him. They think this changes the scenery. They think, uh, you know, with this coaching staff and with some of these tools that, that the and some of these playmakers that the Colts have, that they're ready to contend. And, uh, you know, if they can get off to a fast start, you know, it, it was kind of like one year they're, you know, they're, they're four and oh, you know, five and oh, and then one year they're one and four. Yep. If they can get off to a faster start in this division and Tennessee comes back to earth a little bit, we know Jacksonville is not going to scare the pants off of anybody and the Texans, you know, they can be beat. Uh, I think the Colts have as, as good a shot as Tennessee and Houston to distill this division. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of familiarity too with like with Rivers and some of the coaching staff there. Sure. They've yes. known each other in, in a lot of in like a lot of the uh um the scheme. So and he's yeah. got a lot to prove, you know. He does, I mean, he does. He, no, you're he, right. I, so, you know, I, I think he's gonna put up a lot of yards and I think he's I, I I'm looking for big things. He still wants Rivers. to win. He's never yeah, won. Absolutely. That's what we gotta remember. He's not like someone and even Brady. He, he you know, Brady's obviously still motivated, but like when you sure. win, it, it's he's he's not like someone who's won a few times and he's just moving to move. Like he he's got a fan like he wouldn't be going somewhere else and, and leaving and, and with his family and everything, like unless he wanted to win and felt like he had a big shot. Too so this feels like it could be a pretty good Marriage as long as he stays healthy and they go well Because like you said there's just there's nothing That terrifies you now in, in this Division so fun it's been a fun f- First couple weeks for uh, NFL free agency like we just rarely see This many big name players moving Teams no and I think we Really needed it you know there's yes. no sports right I, You're right you know, oh god it's been I great know, I know you're gonna have some people you know Probably frown On me for saying this but the True religion in the United States of America has to be sports, right? People miss church all the time. You know, I was raised in Southern Baptist. My dad was a deacon, um, you know, couldn't say certain things around him, but man, if you miss church, you know, most churches in the United States are closed. Now they're having to do it online, man. When that, you miss that first NFL game or that first NBA game, that first opening day, today was supposed to be opening day. We're recording this like Thursday, uh, Thursday evening, you know, and it's just, yeah, it's um, isn't 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 sports probably pro and you know pro sports the true religion uh, of this country, man. But this was much needed, at least for a couple of days. Some normalcy, it, right? Yeah, it just gives yeah, you like a fun. shot of normalcy back in the arm. Like we're able sure, to talk about the teams and what the teams need, it's and we're just able to, to kind of escape to. it. Yes, escape. Look forward to as the season's coming forward, or uh, maybe in the case of some of these teams that didn't do a whole lot, start scratching, <laughs> right? start scratching yeah. your head. Um, well, we uh, we had a couple as we transition over. Let's talk some wrestling. We had uh, AEW Dynamite now, so on Wednesday night, and it's been a couple weeks now with um, WWE and All Elite Wrestling running these shows with no one in the audience. So uh, in this one, um, we had Cody uh, Cody and Kenny Omega kind of back and forth on commentary with Tony Schiavone, and you know it, it, I thought it was a pretty fun show. We had Cody Jimmy Havoc at the beginning, Darby Allen, Kip Sabian. Um, of those two matches and just kind of overall, I mean, Darby to me is a star in the making. Oh, I, yeah, I do, absolutely. I do think he just kind of has that it factor, right? That that charisma. He seems like he's going to be a big, big star. Yeah, you know, there was some, com- or, you know, some car- comparisons to this, and and I don't know if it's it's fair to Darby or not, but you know, especially on social media, um, but comparing him to a young Sting. Yep. You know, just uh, the guy can fly around, but absolutely, this guy needs to be on TV every week. Um, you know, I, I was a fan of him in the Indies, following him. 
Um, I, I like Kip Sabian. I mean, he's not a star, but he's a good worker. I yep. like that match. Um, it really wasn't a bit, I, I don't like where, you know, kind of where they're going with Mox and Jake Hager. You know, I, I just think, you know, Mox needs somebody else other than the inner circle. I, I've just never been, you know, when I see Jake Hager, I just want to go, we, the people, the people swagger. You know? They, they've done a better job in AEW of building him up, but he's just yes. so hard to, yes. to think of, of as he he's never one a guy that's really on the pro a promo guy. He's not no, he doesn't no. have much personality. So he's just like in this day and age, you 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 have to have a little personality or you have sure. to be the absolute best worker. And he's just like a pretty good worker, a big guy, a good hand. I think he's good in his role, but I, I kind of agree with you. Like as a challenger for the world title, it just it kind of feels a little flat. It is, and maybe, you know, Mox needs this after yeah, this big program with Jericho, you know, kind yep. of like a transition feud. You maybe know, a TV they, program for a little sure, while or and, something. And they yeah. keep saying Jake's this big MMA monster. No, you fought in Bellator once or twice. Yeah, it's jobbers. Yeah. You know, let's yeah. let's ease off of that. I thought it was an okay show this past week. I didn't think it was as good as the previous week. But no, uh, I agree. What, what did you think about the uh, the promo and the vignettes uh, with Brody Lee, where he you was know, taking the, jabs supposed to be the Vince McMahon. McMahon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were sitting there. You know what? Um, I, I I laughed. I thought it was funny. I like uh, Brody Lee, the old, the former Luke sure. Harper, quite a bit. I think he's very talented. The only thing that I think is a little strange is it just felt like it felt different, a lot different from the first week of like yes, who, who, who who is yes. he? You know what I mean? So I, I guess I want to see. What the next week is and where they're going Because I just was like trying to figure out Okay, week one, he comes in He's kind of this, you know, like Badass, kind of mythical We And then this, the next week he's in a suit And he's playing Vince McMahon, almost You know, sure, sure. so um, I, But I, I'm willing to give them a little time With him to to build, Give him the build that they want To kind of portray him how they want um, It was, it's funny though I like anytime they take <laughs> it a was. shot but, but sometimes, I, you know, I I, I, I I'm glad they haven't been doing it as much. I don't think um, it's always great when it gets fun sometimes when they go back and forth with each other, but sometimes you got to be like how WWE is and maybe act like the other one doesn't exist, you know? Sure, sure. Uh, yeah. We, but, oh, yeah. But, it, but anytime they get a reference to a, a WWE thing, I always do get, do get a good chuckle there. And then, and then we had, um, uh, you know, we had a pretty good match Omega versus Sammy Guevara. Sure. I will say, yeah. and this is. We, 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 Cody was was pretty fun on commentary in a couple spots. He made a couple. I will. I, I wasn't never usually be as high on Cody. He's really done a great job in the last couple of years, just impressing me with his work overall, his promo skills. He's just gotten a, a lot better over uh, overall. Everything he's done with this company and stuff, he, he's done <laughs> done a great job. He said something about in the Kip Sabian. Uh, um, Darby Allen match about how like these guys are like the freshmen on the varsity team, you know, yeah. like they, oh, yeah. they got a bunch oh, yeah. of talent, but you know, you could tell they're just like a little bit, there's something, they're a step or two away. They're, they're, they're young, you know, which was, I thought was kind of a fun reference. And then um, they, you know, they were really talking during the, the Kenny and Sammy match about how, you know, Sammy, the, the inner circle stuff, you know, and, and, and it's okay. And Jericho does a good job. Obviously he's super talented and entertaining, but it's done a really great Great thing for Sammy he he feels yes. Like he's really I think of, of Everyone that's been involved with that with the inner Circle and stuff it's he's really been elevated His personalities come out and we were able to See him in, in a really nice match here Against Kenny yeah and uh, Sammy was a big big Hot commodity on the Texas independent Scene I was able to see him several times uh, In person uh, 
Russell Circus, he was in Austin multiple times. And this guy, you know, just everything he did, the fans ate it up. And that was one of the, the places uh, I thought was a good fit to put him in with the inner circle and just not let him flop around and kind of get lost in the mix is, is a smaller kind of cruiserweight. And then mm-hmm. these, you know, these, these cue cards when, you know, it just took off on a mind of its own. And uh, he is 100% another star and AEW has got to keep, you know, keep this kid uh, on their roster because uh, he can go anywhere and be a star. Yeah. And then, um, oh, and then just a, kind of a, a side note, I, you've probably seen the videos online of uh, MJF floating around all week where he's oh, singing. Yeah. Yeah, oh, he's yeah, just like an yeah. incredible singer too, which is great. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. MJF oh, yeah. on uh, on uh, Twitter, just like so. You guys are all just finding out that I'm amazing at everything in life, <laughs> which is just great. That's that oh, was yeah. a, a side note, but funny because uh, he he there there's just the one thing I do like about um, AEW and is if they just are able to sounds weird, but just stay on TV for a while. Like in sure. another year, the, the guys like um, Darby Allen. And Sammy and MJF After having been on TV for a full year And like people figure Finally like really knowing you Knowing who you are on like a national level These guys have the opportunity to be Really really big stars you know Yeah and you know they end the show With two older guys Yeah, You you got a 45 year old Matt (laughs) Hardy You got nearly 50 Chris Jericho And look I'm one of the biggest Hardy fans in the world I popped at WrestleMania two years ago when they came out and won those titles, I was disappointed that Impact, whoever was running it at the time, would not let the the broken slash woken Matt Hardy. Do we need that gimmick from him now? Yeah, I, I mean, I just I don't know. I don't know it, if we it, do or not. Because it's not hot. That's the problem no, is that it's not. If this happened on the heels of the T- leaving TNA, like right when he went to WWE, then I think it would be. It would hit a little bit more And also I think it's one of those things that would definitely And, and I, they, they're obviously in a bad spot But it would hit much better with a crowd Oh, You know with the crowd chanting the yeah. deletes Delete, And sure. going back and forth And the crowd like kind of chanting against Jericho Who's one of the, the best like antagonizing them You know it would be a whole lot of fun But it just like it, it felt like We had a you know close the show with Matt Hardy versus Chris Jericho Their their, their stare down and you know Matt Hardy <laughs> is like teleporting All, all through the yeah, uh, and I, Man I'll say this that what Jericho Was doing with Vanguard 1 with the Van- and Going oh, back yeah. and forth dude, that was You, you just you don't get any better than that. It was that, hilarious. That was great. That was it was great. hilarious. And that was so a, a positive in that they were saying like they were able to bring Vanguard one in because there were no people. You know what I mean? Sure, like that would have sure. been something yeah, that would have been hard to have in a full yeah. arena with a bunch of people. I don't I think That's they don't, I don't even know if they're allowed with them, but uh but it was funny. We saw Matt Hardy kind of get broke um broken Matt Hardy. He he kind of mentioned that he's not really aligned with the elite, but he kind of or he just owed them a favor and they, right, they right. brought him back. So we'll see what the future has for them. Um but you know they, I just I got to applaud um them and WWE as we'll transition over to WWE for right now like you said um, it's it's nice to have some normalcy. So at least we're able to sit down for a couple hours, watch these shows, critique the shows like we like, talk about what we think is fun, talk about what we think stinks. It, it does kind of it give us a little something to uh, to at least continue to look forward to right now at this kind of strange time in the world. 
Yeah, with or without fans. You know, I, I know some of the, you know, WWE, you can see some of the guys who are able to, to come in on Monday night and on Friday nights and some who are not able to because they're, you know, they're showing, you know, older matches, in which I saw, you know, ESPN, I think this weekend is showing WrestleMania, what, 32, one of, one of those, you know, 30, 31, 32s this weekend. But, yeah, just, just for a couple of hours. And, you know, there hasn't been as much fighting on social media with AEW and nope. WWE Universe fans. So it's actually been a plus. Yeah, it is. It's been kind of a, a little more positive. People are just enjoying what they're giving us. So I guess in the last like week or so on the WWE side, we, we found some things out. First of all, we saw Gronkowski come out on SmackDown. <laughs> and uh, that was just Gronk being Gronk. Yeah. Man. Just goofy strut dancing down to the ring. Just... Um, you know, like super awkward and uncomfortable st- stuff with Mojo, <laughs> but just like bro stuff that we kind of yeah. kind of just laugh oh, yeah. at, you know. And uh, so it looks like they're Elias is going to face um King uh, King Corbin at WrestleMania, sure. but it looks like maybe one of Gronk's first. I don't know if it's going to be a feud or interaction or whatever they're going to be doing with him. It, it may be involving Corbin. Yeah, and I like that. You know, yeah. Corbin had a little stint in the NFL, and Corbin yeah. is a great heel, and he can get you over. So no problems with that at all. Yeah, it's good. He, automatic. He's one of the best heels and like true heels in wrestling. You it's bet. a really good spot to to start if you're going to do that. And you know, I'm sure Mojo will have plenty of interaction there. So what what we're finding out now is that there's going to be some like even more serious lockdowns in Florida coming up, and so yes. WWE is doing. It's actually a pretty smart thing. They have all the talent around right now So what they're doing is They're just filming as much as they can They're basically filming all of Wrestlemania And they're filming like the next couple weeks worth of TV shows I think even the the show or two Or some of the stuff immediately following Wrestlemania So they're basically taking advantage of having A healthy crew right now And then it's going to be time to basically Let these guys and gals and everybody Go back home to their family Because from what I've heard They're almost like a lot of the crew has been kind of quarantined in a hotel or like in yes. one type spot. Yep. And they're just kind of, you know, filming TV, filming all these matches, filming some promos and stuff um, at the performance center. Right. Yeah. And that's the one thing we talked about last time uh, when I was on your podcast, you know, who, who could avoid getting this, you know, cause we know a lot of them have probably been tested. Um, but getting it done now, and I know sooner or later, and I, I am the biggest anti-spoiler person. I, I don't want to read, you know, I, I'll still watch Impact. I see all the tweets, you know, here are the results. I don't like reading that. I, I just, I want to watch it live, and I know they're going to be out there. I just, I just hope that a lot of people, you know, give it a chance, stay away from it, and uh, and just let WrestleMania in you know, go over these two days without, you know, everyone knowing every result. And, uh, yeah, they're definitely doing the right thing. Get everything taped. And I think maybe the same with NXT. I think they're going to, you know, book some NXT takeover matches and yep. tape them this week and show them over the next couple of Wednesdays. So that's going to be fun, too, because there was a lot of matches on that card that I was looking forward to. And I'm glad they're putting uh, putting them on Wednesday nights. And so with the two nights now, they should. They're what they're doing is there were a couple of kind of random matches that were thrown on. I think they were yeah. just like, oh, yeah. hey, you know what? We have two people here at the performance <laughs> center right now. Like, let's tape this match. We'll throw sure. it on WrestleMania. We've added um, 
these Street Profits versus uh, Andrade and Garza for the tag team titles for the Raw tag team titles. They've added Alistair Black versus Bobby Lashley, which I mean that can be a good match if those two guys get sure. to go for a little while, uh, just in a, a singles match. Um, Elias versus King Corbin. Um, we're probably going to have some kind of an Otis versus Dolph Ziggler, oh, and yeah. then um, the women's tag maybe Kabuki Warriors, Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross, and then hey, the one that. I'm I'm kind of getting excited for. I'm assuming we're going to see Sami Zayn and Daniel Bryan. There's a stipulation coming up on SmackDown to where uh, Drew Gulak's involved. This just kind of feels like I'm I'm sure Daniel Bryan loves this, like being involved with these with these workers. You know, like he, oh, he yeah. probably feels like this is something that he probably is telling Vince or whoever, like, hey, let me work with uh with Sammy and Drew and Cesaro and Nakamura. Like he loves this group and these matches that he's able to have with these guys. Yeah, and I know the word is not used a lot in WWE now because it's superstars, but man, those guys can wrestle. I mean, that match at Royal Rumble that Daniel Bryan and Drew uh, Drew put together, that was an amazing match. Or no, Elimination Chamber, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. That was an amazing match. We all know Sammy can go. So yeah, this this has the makings uh, of a very, very good match. I'm excited about this program. Yeah, so I mean, we look up and down and... What they should be able to do is, for the most part, I'm I'm just assuming that. Do you think it'll be more of like a, you know, maybe like NXT and some undercard matches one night, or do you think they'll try to actually spread it out and do two nights where it's like, you know, one title match on each on each side, maybe U.S. title here or in a, a IC on this one, you know, like women's women's titles matches sure, split sure. up. Do you think it'll be like a true two night show with main events on each night, or more of like a a night and a B night. Man, I, I would love to see it split up. I'd Me love too. to see I it hope even so. out. I, but it, because man, it makes sense. It, I mean, it you does. could do it pretty well. You know, you you like I, I actually was reading it was uh let me see, it was it's Bleacher Report. And sure. and they put they did like their what they would do. And so here's kind of what they would do. On night one, they would have it be um, Alistair Black, Bobby Lashley, Otis Dolph Ziggler, Kevin Owens versus Seth Rollins. You got the Raw Tag Team Championship match, the women's tag team championship match, Bray Wyatt, Cena. Um, Becky Lynch versus Shayna Baszler and Goldberg Roman. So that's sure. one night you I'm get okay like with that. you know you get half of the matches, and then you got a night two that still looks pretty good, where you'll have uh, Sami Zayn versus Daniel Bryan, Elias versus Corbin. You have Edge versus Randy Orton. You have the the SmackDown Tag Team Championship matches will be Miz and Morrison versus either the New Day or the Usos. Um, you got the SmackDown Women's Title, which I believe they said Dana Brooke is now out of that because she's sick. Right. right. Um, they don't know what, but they just want to be be uh, cautious with her. And then it would be AJ Styles, Undertaker, uh, Rip, uh, Rhea Ripley versus uh, Charlotte, and then Brock Drew. Like that's a good split. You could it could be you know obviously a few matches here and there different, but something like that to me feels a lot better than just maybe like an A night and a B night. And you know the one good thing about taping these matches once they see everything. And in post-production, you know, you might be able to put certain matches on this night and they'll, we go, why is this match on this night? And go, oh, now I'll see why this match was on this yeah. night. So yeah. I, I think it actually will work out in their favor I agree. Once, they, once they get everything taped and see and, and, and they can do an even out type deal. And not where you just have all the big names on Sunday night. So this is going to be just a completely different WrestleMania than, we're, oh, than yeah. we're used to because, you know, they and and it could go one either way, right? Like I don't think knowing Vince, knowing that they're going to be one of the only things out there going, I don't think they're going to try to half-ass this, right? Oh, no. Like, oh, no, and no. so with a couple weeks or like you know a week and a half, two weeks to 
after everything's filmed to put things together to maybe like redo some segments or promos or anything that they felt like didn't go well. If they didn't like a match, they could do it over again, you know, even so I'm, I'm starting to kind of expect a little bit more, like a, a good amount out of this mania, even without the crowd. It, I think it still should be fun. And I'm, I'm just kind of looking forward to it, how different it's going to be. Yeah, uh, you know, some of these guys will not be able to feed off the crowd, uh, and some of these guys will not get, you know, heat off the crowd, and uh, all all of your, you know, when you get a guy in the ring or, or a girl in the ring, and they're struggling, and they can get some heat with the crowd, you know, you're not going to be able to get that, so they're going to have to bring their athletically their A game for all of this, because you're not going to have a chance if you mess up. You know, you're not going to have a chance to to build heat uh, with the crowd or with somebody else. Uh, anything negative, you're going to have to cover it up because uh, um, there's there's no one there, and all emphasis and focus is on what's happening inside that ring. So I expect nothing but a plus effort by all the men and women uh, on that WWE roster. This, yeah, it's just a, a different time in the world of wrestling. <laughs> yeah. it, it's it's at least. Um... It's it's nice that we still have something going. We've it's it's been good that nothing has happened. Nobody, none of the wrestlers that we've heard or anything um, coronavirus like coming out of uh, sure. of NXT or other performance centers so far. So um, hopefully they get everything done. And if they do and they get these shows done, then they did a really good job and they and they they did a, a smart thing by taking advantage of having everybody in one spot and getting you know at least like a couple of weeks to maybe even a month of TV. All set up so um, Okay Coop before before I let you go uh, I didn't even prepare you for this but I gotta put you on the spot So we okay. talk wrestling we talk football Give me like a TV show or a movie or something That you're binging right now like what what have you been watching Ooh. And like uh, doing Like passing your time with a little bit uh, through this time Well see I'm not a very big Netflix guy okay. I don't have Netflix okay I don't have Hulu You know I, I'm an old school you know, because I'm going a lot. I'm old school cable, but what I love to watch, man, I, I love uh, American Pickers. I like these two nice. guys. That, that oh yeah, go out. Frankie, yeah, they, baby. Oh yeah, yeah Mike man, and Frank. Go out. Yeah, you know, they're, they're, it's like Laurel and Hardy, yep. and they go out and they do fun things. I could watch uh, replays of that, and I've seen most of them. I, I, I love that. I, you know, I love Pawn Stars. I love oh, The yeah. Office. So I've been watching a lot of that, you know, because okay. they're they're showing a lot of that. So yeah, th- th- that's that's what I'm stuck on. Some great choices there. Yeah, I love yeah. me some pickers. Those guys are oh, yeah. a ton of fun. And you know what? Oh, yeah. You don't even you, you you have a laugh, but then you learn something too. You know oh, what? You come man, out of that, and like you know some weird fact about some some old uh, artifact from the 1920s. So yeah, sure. It's, it's yeah, just so fun. much better than like the storage wars, right? Yeah, There's yeah. Sto- you know, on A and E, you know, I, I can go with pickers all day long. Man. Yeah, That's I, what I, I used been to sit watching. there and roll yeah. through their like the block that they would have, and it would be like uh, pickers, pawn stars. They would have the old oh, one yeah. counting cars would be on there. Oh, yeah, swap bit, people, so. you name it. I'm watching it. Man. Oh yeah, so that's fun. Chad Cooper, give us your plugs again. Let us. Know where we can find you online and, and some of the stuff you're working on. Yeah, man, I live on Twitter and Instagram. Both handles are the same at the Chad Cooper, and whatever I have, I'll post it on those two. Coopaloop, my man. Thank you so much. Uh, you have a nice weekend, and we'll talk again real soon. Stay safe, Gino. Okay, you too. That is our good friend Chad Cooper. You heard all the the ways you can follow. Thank you, Chad. Good buddy, Chad Cooper. Uh, we can hit on everything with Chad. We'll have him back to talk more wrestling and then 
uh, football, a little, you know, whatever we want as we uh, continue along here. And that's what she said. Let's get your past performances out. We're going to go straight into some horse racing. It's a big day at Gulfstream Park. They're hopefully making it to Saturday because this is a huge card, a really good card, a 14 race card. It's the biggest day of their meet. It's Florida Derby Day. And I think they just are, are hoping that they can get through the uh, through the week uh, through the Saturday, and it's a day where they're planning on paying out the Rainbow Pick Six. So, very important day from a wagering standpoint because we, you know, we just don't know how many of these racetracks are going to continue uh, to be able to stay open. So, got to take advantage now uh, while we still have some good opportunities left. Let's start in race number one, and um, some of these. Allowance races, optional claimers are just so good. Uh, this first race at, at Gulfstream on Saturday, so we're looking March 28th, I, I don't think there's a whole ton of, of speed in here. So uh, I think we have to use Devious Charm, who uh, I feel like she's going to be able to be right on the lead, sit close. Um, if somebody else goes, like maybe like a, a you know, maybe a take charge Tina or, or someone else wants to show some speed, she can sit r- right there and, and she should offer you some nice value. So Let's use Devious Charm in the top spot and, um, you know, in, in all of the exotics. And then I think the five is the, is the one to beat. That is uh, Zabava, who should be pretty tough in here. Let's use Second Coming, who has a, a nice little turf pedigree. Expecting this one to step forward on the grass. And then the 12 will also include uh, Enjoy It While We Can, who's lone sibling one on the, on the turf. And I think has an opportunity to at least uh, pick up a slice here. And, and the, the post is probably more why we use Underneath. So 8, 5, 1, and 12 we'll use in that opener in some of the exotics there in race number 1 at Gulfstream. Let's move along to race number 2. So that first race you can start with the, with pick 5s. We'll give a you know a couple looks at how we would play a pick 5. And um, and and then I'll kind of tell you how I, I'm going to approach the, the Rainbow 6 a little bit and maybe where I'll single and, and, and how I stack up the other races. But you can kind of put, put your own together. For the most part, we'll kind of give you the key horses throughout the, the card. Race number two, the the four is really interesting to me. Stealth. So he comes out of that Hidden Scroll race. You know, Hidden Scroll, obviously very, very talented. Though I think, you know, you can look at that race and, and this horse just didn't get out of the gate. So it's an obvious put a line right through. And he's had some issues, right? He's had some slow starts and he's he doesn't have a whole ton of speed. But what's interesting about him, this feels like a really good distance for him. He's going to add the blinkers. He's going to go second start off a, a very long layoff. He hadn't raced from June the 23rd of 2019 until March of 2020. Now he's going to put two starts together. So even if he didn't really you know, get into the race, it's still getting a race around the track. Um, I think he, should, he just should be a lot better today uh, in this spot. And then you look around, I'm expecting there to be... A, a decent amount of speed in here with, you know, the outside couple horses with top seed um, burning through gold and then Voluminaire is not going to be far out of it. You know, from the inside, you might get a little more speed from Jake Rocks who could be forced from the from the rail. So, looks like there's, there's enough to set up a, a late rally for this one. I, I think the four is an interesting horse to use in a lot of your exotics trying to come from off the pace. So, let's use the four. I think the 11 who sat just off and then put the speed rival away late. He was he was really impressive and when he when you see the uh the McGay horses win first time out, generally they have a lot of talent and they're going to continue to to get better and better with racing under their belt. 
So I think uh, we can we when you use the eleven, the five and the six both seem very logical. The six uh, in particular, you know, coming off that very long layoff, hadn't raced from October of twenty eighteen to February of twenty twenty, and should you know plenty of time in between. Comes out of a productive race, makes a lot of sense. The five low luminaire also. So I have four. 11, 6, 5, and, you know, slightly leaning to the 4 just because of the, the bigger price and one that I want to use and all the exotics. If uh, I think there's there's enough versions of this race that I see that he gets the trip that would win this. Nothing really crazier outside the box in the 3rd. Um, if you're playing early exotics, I just kind of like the obvious horses in here. The 3, Largent, who's going to sit 3rd off. And uh, the 12, who's coming into the Chad Brown barn for the first time and coming over from France. That, to me, I, I don't really love anybody else in this in this field, so it's just kind of a kind of an obvious race if you want to play some of the, the Maltese. In race number four, the Cutler Bay. They're going a mile on the turf course here. Vitology should be really tough. You know, he was a step slow, and then he was asked for some speed from the outside. He ended up sitting. Uh, he was three deep into the turn. Then he ends up tucking in. Uh, from third, sits third, he's a couple lengths off, he's now in the two path, he gets up to second, he moved to the lead before the top of the lane, he put away a couple challenges, I thought it was a really nice effort, he kind of showed a little bit more tactical speed and kind of a, a new dimension from from what we've seen from him. I, he He's going to be tough in here, I know Decorated Invader is going to take a lot of money because he had a brutal trip in the Breeders' Cup, he was slow, uh, he ended up three deep and in between horses, then he was surrounded on all sides, he got shuffled back to last, he lost ground, he lost a few lengths, um, then he got clearance and he had to go like six, seven, seven wide, it, he lost a ton of ground, it was just a tough trip, and he's beat Vitalogy before, but what's nice is that Vitalogy got a, he has the race under his belt, so he has the right to be a little bit ahead of Decorated Invader in here. And, and then the other horse that I would use would be Moon Over Miami, who's damn one going long on the grass, and he has some ability. And now you start to look back at his races, and maybe they're a little bit better than we think. New York traffic has come back okay, and let's give him a shot going first time on the grass. So I have 6, 8, and 10 in here. And I wouldn't be against anyone that wanted a single Vitalogy Decorated Invader is very, very logical, very, very live. I'm sure he's going to take money, so I won't. I'm, I want him on my tickets, and then the eight, maybe a, a price horse to spice things, uh, spice things up a little bit. In race number five, we'll. I'm going to begin with uh, the eleven, Alma Shriek. You know, he was really impressive. Uh, I, I thought on, on February the 22nd when winning, he was kind of bumped around a little bit at the start, and then he moved through in between. It, there were a, a couple other horses that also wanted to go for the the lead. He won the battle of the speeds, and he, and he started to draw off. He drew, he draws off by a length. He was challenged. He was actually headed at the top of the lane, um, right right before the top of the lane, and then he keeps battling from the inside. He put that rival away, drawn to the outside, so if he needs to sit a little bit, maybe he can, but I think he's the one to catch in here. Um, I, I look up and down. I don't know... If there's anyone that's quite quick enough to go with him early, you know, maybe maybe horse like Squeeze Adios or Winds of Change, Wind of Change stretching out with the blinkers on. So I will use Wind of Change underneath in some spots, and uh, you know the three. I feel like Network Effect is probably the one to beat. I think you can give him an excuse for his start last time out, 
And then prior to that, you don't really have a, a whole heck of a lot to knock. He was just slow away, and that was a racetrack that was really hard to, to make up any ground. And that race has come back, you know, it's a good, it's a good race. He was behind maximum security and, and spun to run. So you just excuse it, put a line right through. So like 11 and 3 as uh, the top two in here. I kind of have them on, on a slightly higher tier than the rest. We'll use the seven wind of change, who I mentioned I think can take a um, take a step forward, can improve a little bit, stretching out, likes the mile. The number nine, intrepid heart, who was a very highly regarded three year old who'll be making his first start as a four year old, and the ten bourbon war, kind of same thing. He's a he's a four year old. He's already made his first start as a four year old. That was on the grass, but he's one that I always kind of liked, and I wouldn't be shocked to see him jump up and win a race at a price like this. So underneath in, in if you want to go a little deeper in some spots, so I have 11, 3, 7, 9, 10 in that fifth. Race number six. No uh no opinion in in this race. Not gonna really have any any plays in a big day like like uh Saturday. Don't feel like you have to play every race, every bet, every pick four, every pick five, every pick three, every everything. Let's move to the seventh race. Um, there are two horses that I, I, I like in here, and not you know however you want to use them. Keep an eye on what the prices are. The the first is the number three, Stunning Sky, who I think you know I played last time out, and I thought was was very live in that spot behind Cheermeister, and then <laughs> and Cheermeister just keeps winning races, and we're always gonna keep playing against the. Uh, or at least, at least I am again going to be uh, in here. I think she has speed, but I look, I look at this field and think there's probably a little more speed than she has to deal with than she uh, had to deal with in uh, in the races that she's been able to wire fields. So let's start with the uh, let's start with the three stunning sky. Who you know I have along with the seven, and those are the two. The three might give you a, you know a better price, better value. She got squeezed uh, and like really sawed off at the start and then ran up into a tight spot and then she gets, you know, stacked wide into the turn and wide all the way around and it just was a brutal trip. So if you're going to just put a line through that race and play her off the last, this is this is not an easy spot though. I still think it's willing it, it's worth giving her a shot at a price. Make sure, you know, make sure you're still getting nice value on her. And in the number 7, I actually prefer the the seven in here I, I like this one quite a bit. Walk in Marrakesh. She had a really nice start. Well, like her her debut in the U, uh, in North America when it was up in Woodbine was very good. She was second in the Natoma. She was just beaten. She battled all the way around the track, and then she comes off the bench on March the seventh. She's over at Tampa. She had a good start. She's up to battle for the lead, and then she ends up taking back a little bit. She sits second. She's a couple off. She saves ground on the inside. She gets kind of shuffled back just a little bit from the inside. She was loaded at the top of the lane. She's waiting for room. She stayed inside. She had to angle around a little bit, and you know what? That was the difference between winning and and finishing second. That was her first start since September. If she improves at all off that, she's going to be really, really tough in here. So I have the seven walk in Marrakesh. Over the three, Stunning Sky. Those are the two I like in race number seven. 
eighth race. You know, I think the th- nothing, no real like strong love and opinion in here. The, the three last judgment is going to be tough. I thought the five bourbon resolution was worth it, some inclusion. The seven Jackson, Vacoma, we know who was in the Derby. This is a multiple graded stakes winner. I'm I, the price has to determine to me how he gets played here. If he's around five to one, I'm okay with including it. I'm fine with using him some of the exotics, but I just don't want to take a really short price on him, and, and he might be the type that gets over bet. So just keep an eye on on the price and, and how you use him. Race number nine is the race that actually kicks off the rainbow pick six. So if you're out there, this is one of those times I'm not a, a jackpot pick six player. I will never tell you to play them except on these mandatory payout days. That's the day when it's worth playing. So put a little ticket in, even if you don't, Normally play the pick sixes. Put a put a ticket in. It's twenty. They're twenty cent. Like you can just play a small one and take a couple swings, and it's a, uh, it's worth doing. In race number nine, the two Zofel is going to take a lot of money, and is going to be uh, like a real like buzz type horse. The newspaper of record is is the the known horse in here, and she just didn't have a very good three year old year. She did not take a step forward from two to three. She'll probably get o- over bet in here. And I don't think this race shapes up very well for her. Completely against newspaper of record. I'm going to use the 7 on top. She took up at the start. She was towards the rear. She was 8th. She was inside. She was about 7 lengths off. She got to the outside of the 2 path. She moved in between horses. She was just full of run. I think she's going to get the kind of setup. It looks like there's a lot of other speed in here. The inside horse, Picara, has some speed. Super Escape is not exactly slow. Newspaper of Records has to be like close to or right on the lead. East Moon has at least some tactical speed there. Uh, Jakarta is going to be flashing some speed. Valedictorian. So it looks like it's going to set up nicely for someone to come from off the pace. Let's use the 7. The 2 is going to get a ton of buzz. Uh, makes a lot of sense. Zofel should come running. I have no knocks on the 2. Zofel. The 6. La Signare who turns back and should have a little bit more uh, late punch. And a, a long shot in here to include in some of your exotics, the 9, Angel of Mischief. I just think she's going to be a little bit better today. She might end up working out a nice trip where she can kind of fall into a good spot, maybe get the jump on uh, on some of the deeper closers and and get a good trip. So seven two six nine in race number 9. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on race number 10. I just don't love the the race to be honest um i do think the 7 didn't have a great trip last time out and although she's not necessarily a win machine and she hasn't even won on the grass she's won race she's run races good enough to win this and you know what do you do with a horse like general ruler who landeros is aboard and landeros has uh, done very well about aboard this mare but he's he's 0 for 107 at the gulfstream meet so i just definitely not um, riding very well and going to be aboard a, one of the more logical, shorter prices in here. The 6 Mean Mary um, hasn't raced in a few months, but her speed makes her very dangerous. She's going to be forwardly play. So I thought 7, 12, 6, 5. The 12 to me is one that you have to use. I think she's really versatile. She has some speed to maybe get away and negotiate that outside draw. She can sit a little bit off. She's shown the ability to come from off the pace. It's been really good. In her two starts uh, in the U.S., so seven, twelve, six, five, you know, four, two. If you want to go a little bit deeper, I just I'm not a big fan of this race. I'm probably going to be spreading out in here. 
in race number 11, the Gulfstream Park Oaks, um, nothing really like too outside the box or too crazy. Except I, I'm going to give Lake Avenue another uh, another shot back in here. She was so bad last time that to me it's just a race I have to be able to give her one more shot. If she was just second and beaten, it was almost it's almost one of those things where it's like by her being so bad, I'm willing to give her more of an excuse this time out. If she just got beat, then I would say, okay, maybe she's not progressing. Maybe she's just not that good, and and maybe that's the case. And I do think the spice is nice is gonna is gonna be even even better in here. So um, she waited. Uh, or she wanted to get to the outside early on. She was in between horses. She was just off tonalist shape. She looked as if she was done, but she really kept trying all the way. So I, I liked her effort. I really don't have any knocks on tonalist shape. I just kind of she's one of those fillies that I keep uh, trying to beat. And uh, and then you know I thought Swiss Skydiver at Lucrezia. If you want to go a little bit deeper, so I, I have four or five on a tier on top, and then nine, six, seven. If you're going a, a little bit deeper. And I, I'm sure a lot of people will be, you know, having tonalist shape on their tickets. For me, there are some races I, I probably will on on one or two in the rainbow. But you know, you can't just use you know A, B, C, and, and chalk, chalk, chalk in every race. In race number twelve, Channel Cat from the uh, from the rail is a bit interesting. He he is, has speed that he can show from time to time going long. A, you know, he comes way out of it. And maybe from the inside with Rosario, just get a little aggressive and show a little more speed because this race does not have a whole ton of it. Zulu Alpha um, is obviously going to be very, very tough. I mean, what he's done in his last few starts, he really does tower over this field. The problem is he's going to be coming from way, way out of it, and he may spot some of these uh, a few lengths and, and give them uh, an early advantage. So the two inside horses I think are both worth using, Channel Cat, Bema's boy. Uh, we'll include those two in the exotics with Zulu Alpha. You want to go a little deeper, maybe focus group. And then even the crazy long shot, Manny Comio, who could maybe get, get asked to go to the front end in here. So, you know, maybe you can get somebody to try to steal this race without uh, a ton of pace on paper, but they're all definitely going to have to hold off Zulu Alpha in uh, in race number 12, the Pan American. The 13th, um, this is one of my stronger plays uh, of the day, and this is a horse I'm going to single um, in a rainbow six or two, and probably any of the other exotics. That's Bala Rocks, who, you know, he has some back class. He's he's putting three starts together for the first time since 2017. He has every right to even be sharper and better today than he was in his last start when he won. He was hooked four wide into the turn. He was caught three deep in between horses. He was forced to. You know, make an early move up to second in between horses. He moved to the lead at the top of the lane, and then he was headed, but he dug in. He got the win. They were, they've given him plenty of time to recover from that. Slight turn back. You know, you look at him. He has just tons of back class. He's a grade three winner. He is multiple grade one placed. Let's go with Bala Rocks on top. We'll single this horse in a lot of spots. He's going to be a real key to a lot of the exotics for me. We'll include the 10. Sambier, who just works out a nice trip for himself every time. We'll use him in some spots. He just has that kind of style where he always really gets himself a perfect trip. The one English B will come running. And in the number 12, El Tormenta. Don't love the post. Might need race, but some talent, some ability here. So we'll include in some exotics. 4, 10, 1, 12. 
And then up comes the Florida Derby. Just talk, uh, another race I don't, I don't love because I don't have a strong opinion. I think you can make cases for many in here uh, from the inside. I- I'm expecting as seen on TV to run pretty well in here. He was in between horses early. He was in some traffic. He ended up working his way up to third. He was tucked inside. He was within a couple lengths. I think he's going to show a little more speed in here from the inside. I, I you're going to get a good run for your money with him uh, at least. Shiva Re with the blinkers off, stretching out. You have to imagine that, that this one will be forwardly placed. The three disc jockey, you know, it's hard to... You look at him a couple times now. Okay, he was a maiden claimer. But you look at his last start too. He didn't have a great beginning. He was, you know, ninth early. He was five off, but he moved wide up to challenge. He just couldn't get to a 70-1 to one shot who was loose on the lead. Soros, I needed to see more from. Governor Morris, uh, I'm going to make him my lukewarm top selection. He's going to get bet down, so he's probably going to be more like a 7-2, to 4-1 shot. And he's kind of a grinder, but I think in this race, he's going to be a little bit farther back. He probably won't be as close. Uh, he won't have to be as close early as he was in a small field. What happened was... He stumbled at the start, he bobbled, and the horse right next to him bobbled, dropped the jockey, so just a really small field. United ends up kind of clearing off, so Governor Morris had to go and and kind of stay with him to make sure that 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 guy didn't sneak away. United came back and ran second in the Gotham, and Governor Morris was fine. I think he, with some projected improvement, he has the right to be right, uh, you know, in contention with the top lane here, and maybe we get a little value on him, even even if he is like four or five to one. That still feels more uh, where he should be. I'm. If you're telling me you want to give Aja Weed one more shot, and you think he just didn't like Tampa, um, because he was get, he got a great trip. I just expected so much more for him from him. I really liked him in that last spot. It looked like there was a lot of speed, and there was. Sol Volante came from the back. He just he didn't really show much at all. Tis the law. No real knocks on Tis the law. I think he's the deserving one to beat in here. He gets himself into some trouble. Um, he he's had you know trouble. He's able to. He's been able to get out of it most most of the time. Um, his one defeat, you can say it was probably because he also got into some trouble that day too. In the Holy Bull, you know he had a good start. He was right on top. And then he settled on the inside, and he was, you know, saving ground. But then he had to take back. He lost the length. He moved. He he was able to angle around. That's fine. You're not always going to be able to do that, though. And if he wasn't able to cleanly angle around, then he's kind of stuck on the inside. He's stuck there. And then you get, you know, you kind of get put in that spot where you're at the mercy of the rail opening up or, or, you know, somebody giving you a way through. My first Grammy is a maiden who I just need. I I need to see more from him. He's going to have to really improve in here. Then I, I just don't I don't really know what to do with Independence Hall. I I you know he he came his race came back better than I thought it would. He just felt like he was Sol Volante got a great trip because they were going quick, but I felt like the way that Independence Hall was sitting in that race that was a race he should have won. I I'm willing to give him another shot, but I just I I, I wanted him to win that race, not not even from a betting standpoint, just from that that's a race where he's sitting behind. He's able to take behind a couple clo- a couple horses battling and get the jump on the closers. 
I like Candy Tycoon. Um, I had him on Fountain of Youth Day in a couple different spots. He couldn't get through along the inside, so he had to end up taking back a little bit, and then he had to, you know, come from the the back of the pack. And he ended up winning a four way photo for second. I think he can continue to improve and continue to step forward. Sassy but smart. I'm gonna need to uh, to see you know to see more from this one going along on the main against you know a group like this. And then you have Ete Indian. You know, I'm I'm not sure if, if he's going to be able to get the same trip that he got last time out. I think the rail horse is going to make him work a little bit more. I think, you know, when you have um, Independence Hall in here who's not exactly slow, Candy Tycoon can be a little bit quicker. Tis the Law is going to break really well and then try to secure a, a good spot. Shiva Ree is going to be fast. So we'll see. Does he have to work a little bit more than he did last time out? And does that soften him up a little bit late? Because the Indian was very impressive. But I just, you know, I don't get a a great feel for the Florida Derby. I'll put Governor Morris slightly on top. I'm going to use as seen on TV in, in some spots with Tis the Law. So I guess those are my top three. 517, I kind of have in a, in a top tier. And then Candy Tycoon, I'll use with uh, Independence Hall if we go a little deeper. Disc Jockey as a major, major price if you want to go a little deeper. I'm not talking people off end to Indian, so you see what I'm doing here. And then Aja Weed. But I guess 517 are the ones that I'll be playing in most spots. I'll, you know, I'll play one or two small rainbow tickets where you go real deep and give you opportunity if you can, you know, have a lot of horses in that last race if some of the. The horses that you that you keyed in the earlier spots are able to come through. So that's Gulfstream Park for Florida Derby Saturday. Good luck. Uh, some of the horses that I, I want to make sure to uh, to mention one more time in race number two, the number four uh, Stealth in race number five, the number eleven Alma Shriek, uh, race number nine, the number seven Your Mother Rose, and in race number thirteen, the number four uh, Bala Rocks, who's kind of the best bet of the day. Um, if we can get anything around seven to two, we'll play to win. And a horse that will single in some of the late exotics and and, and definitely play around. So, best of luck. Um, take a little swing on that on those rainbow pick sixes. I'll, I'll single Bala Rocks, and um, you know you heard how how well, yeah we stack up horses in each in each race. I always tell you in in order, so that way you can you can tell if you uh, if you need a little help how uh, how we have them like tiered. So best of luck, Florida Derby. Saturday, huge card at Gulfstream Park. Let's take a quick break. Let's hear from one of our sponsors, and then we'll close things out talking with uh, Andrew and Darren, some WrestleMania 3. Just wanted to remind you about one of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast, Sarah Candle Company. Visit sarahcandles.com, C-E-R-A candles.com. Use the promo code G-I-N-O for 10% off of your entire purchase. These are all natural soy wax candle. They candles, they burn longer. They are better for you than the candles out there that have that traditional paraffin wax. I know the people from this company personally. I've grown up with them my whole life. They love candles. And the goal was to, to have an affordable candle that everyone can enjoy use that promo code G-I-N-O my favorite is Fresh Roses the Fresh Roses scent is awesome if you're a horse racing fan they got Del Mar in there you ever want to know what Del Mar smells like but you couldn't make it out there order your candle right now from Sarah Candle Company the website C-E-R-A Candles.com Sarah Candles.com promo code G-I-N-O for 10% off your purchase so recording this on March the 26th Thursday evening and 
We are just over a week away from WrestleMania, and unfortunately, WrestleMania this year is going to be like most of the, the sporting events that happened lately. Well, WrestleMania is actually going to be going on. Most sporting events aren't, but it's going to be without any spectators. We've seen racetracks have to do similar, but it's a little bit different with it's, when it's a wrestling show. And I bring on two guests, two good buddies. They're going to help me recap WrestleMania 3. We're going to go way back in time to the real... Ever first big Wrestlemania show That felt like a massive massive show And it's crazy when we watch this show That had the reported uh, 93,000 that's a, a number That got di- disputed for years But whatever it is 80 to 90,000 Plus people And then we're going to be talking about Wrestlemania in a week That's going to have nobody there How weird hmm. is that Yeah well nobody including myself Who was supposed to be there so yeah. I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit jaded you know true story I've I've been to about I would say 40 to 45 wrestling shows because when I was a kid, I was lucky enough that one of my dad's good friends owned a, you'll remember the name, a Palmer video. And <laughs> he had a relationship with WWF at the time and Coliseum Video where they would give her tickets to different wrestling shows because she carried a lot of the wrestling videos in the store. And she would always just give them to my dad because she had no use for them. And I got to go to, like SummerSlam 88, SummerSlam 89, SummerSlam 91. Uh, there was a Survivor Series. I went to a Royal Rumble in Rhode Island. I mean, like the number of house shows, forget about it. And the crazy part was I have never seen The Undertaker in person one time, which is almost impossible. The odds like, of that not happening. I know, right? That's no, so weird. SummerSlam 91, he was on the video screen when he uh, – Went after Savage and Elizabeth at the wedding reception, but wasn't really in the building. <laughs> WrestleMania 10 is like the only WrestleMania that he was not at. And of course, I was there at the garden and I could go through them all. But I was telling a friend of mine, I'm finally going to a WrestleMania. The Undertaker is going to be there for the first time in my life. I'm finally going to hear the gong. And now I'm not. <laughs> oh, it's unfortunate. And uh, a- Andrew, you and I have been to a-, a couple shows. You like to to head out every time you can. It's just, I'm glad we have the entertainment. I'm glad they've able to, to figure out a way where they can still put WrestleMania on in a safe environment from for a lot of the wrestlers. And they're able to, they're literally taping things probably right now as we're talking. And over the last couple of days, it's basically going to be a ton of pre-taped stuff that they they've had like a week or so to edit. It's going to be a completely different. Experience than the the one that we just watched where we had ninety three thousand people screaming for everything that every baby face did all throughout the show. I have a couple of uh, questions and notes and whatnot. The first of the first one is I've actually been thinking about this. In keeping with this conversation, from now until whenever we're done, can I be considered an honorary Italian? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can. Okay, good. Absolutely. Good. I appreciate that. Um, at any rate, yeah, it's been uh, it's been surreal seeing so many wrestling shows contested in empty arenas. Both WWE and AEW have been providing little quirks to do what they can. I particularly like the AEW episode where they had heels betting at ringside and betting out in the trailer. And then you've got WWE doing what they can. Miz and Morrison, Darren, I know you mentioned this, acting as though there was still a crowd there. But this is unprecedented, and it's something that I don't think anyone in their lifetime ever thought they would see before the events of three or four weeks ago when COVID-19 first started wreaking havoc across the world. It's something that 
I don't think anybody knew how to deal with. It's something that there was no reason to know how to deal with because we'd never seen anything like it before. And now going from a WrestleMania where you're traditionally having 60, 70, 80, 90, 100,000, however many people WWE says are in a building at a WrestleMania to being in an empty TV studio that may or may not have been fit to hold, say, an old NWA TV taping. Mm-hmm. It's surreal. I'm going to be very interested in seeing how they handle it. And I'm also going to be very interested in seeing how the wrestlers treat it. Are they still going to go all out because it's WrestleMania? Are they going to treat it like it's a house show? The, the mind is blown here because we don't know what the payoff There's situation no precedent. is. Yeah. We don't know what the rating situation is going to be. We don't know how the network is going to factor into everything. Because remember, they just opened up a lot of free content. It's going to be incredibly weird, to put it bluntly. And it's something where I don't think any of us are going to be. I, I, there's obviously not a perfect situation, but it's very clear that they're trying to do what they can to make the best out of a horrible situation. And, and hey, now, you know, go ahead, Darren. I was just going to say, you know what the weirdest part is going to be is that uh, Roman's music is going to hit and he's going to walk out to now no booze. No booze. Yeah. Kevin Dunn doesn't even have to mute the crowd. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, maybe it's going to be good for some of the, the the wrestlers in some matches. Like we had said that Goldberg uh, Roman match would have had a really interesting response from the crowd. Um, but yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, they have a lot of time to try to make this good and to make sure that if the, if there's a match that goes out there that they don't like, they can obviously reshoot it if they want. If there's no one around, they can retape it. They can make sure that things go, um, exactly the way they want to, or as best they can in this situation. And you know what? I think uh, we'll, we'll get into WrestleMania in just a second. I think we've, we've seen the last couple of weeks. I feel like people have been at least, um, not quite as hard on, on WWE and on AEW because it's, Hey, they're one of the only things out there. They're, they're doing their best to try to give us some live content. So I think people have been a little bit like less hard on everything that they're doing. That might be different come WrestleMania because we still have such high expectations for what we want come WrestleMania. And, um, they, they have all these storylines They gotta kind of finish off or keep them moving It's not just like um, They're in a weird spot with Wrestlemania being right In the middle of this this time So um, yeah it's just I'm looking forward to it, it's, it's gonna be crazy We have another week left to, to build up But we pretty much know there's probably gonna be like 15 or 16 matches So far so it'll be a good two night event now That they could probably have two pretty solid nights um, There was one Amazing night Back in uh, 1987 and it wasn't the day that I was born Because that was five days before this I was born on March the 24th Five days later we have Wrestlemania 3 And I think immediately The thing that we can we can tell When, when this Wrestlemania starts With the, the beginning before we even have a match With Vince McMahon out in the middle of the ring Introducing everything He gives the Aretha Franklin And the scope of this just seems So much bigger than the first two manias yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you're, you're talking about, you know, the first, obviously the first one at the Garden, the second one, which was kind of, you know, a very weird situation with, with the three different, yep. you know, three different arenas and people watching it on the TV. I mean, look, I went to the Raw 25 over at Barclays, watch, sitting in a, in a crowd and watching what's happening in another place when they were showing what, what was going on in the Manhattan Center on like the, the, the Jumbotron in the building is a very weird and kind of not fun way of experiencing something. Mm-hmm. So I can only imagine if you went to one of those venues where you really got like maybe 45 minutes of wrestling in front of you and the rest of the time you're just watching on these screens. Uh, and then going from that to this colossal 
gigantic mega show that, of course, culminates with Hogan and Andre, which was the match that at that time, not just every wrestling fan, but probably everybody in the country who had any idea what was going on wanted to see. So, yeah, it, w- it went from it went from, you know, minor league baseball, maybe to, you know, World Series game seven, but at the snap of a finger. And obviously, from that point, the rest is history. Darren, you used a really good word there. You used the word colossal. And the first time that you see the shot of the Silverdome, even if there aren't 93,173 fans in attendance, you take a look at that one shot and Mm -hmm. it kind of makes you want to buy it just for a minute. You want to hope that it's true because there's as many people as I think, at least to that point, the first time I saw it as I had seen in one place anywhere in my life it was uh you'll look at that and that's one of the things that still holds up the fact that oh my goodness just look at the mass of people some of whom are in the furthest reaches of the building can probably barely see the ring and that's something that yeah you have your wrestlemanias now in a stadium but there's very few place wrestling events where you feel like you have to be there if you can and Mm -hmm. At the time, that's what this was, because this show, and we'll get into why, it had something for absolutely everybody. You yeah. didn't just have Hogan versus Andre, although that obviously was a gigantic help. You had two of the best technical wrestlers of all time at the peak of their powers. You had Roddy Piper in his quote-unquote retirement match. You had a couple of other matches on the card that had some mainstream appeal. It was really cool stuff, and it's something that, even to this day, I don't necessarily think we appreciate just how much went into that show. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of the wrestlers were were feeling what you felt when you saw that that scope the first time and how big it was. You could tell a lot of them when they were like looking around for a second, and it started with Vince right off the bat when he's in the middle of the ring, and he even kind of mentions it on on a lot of the documentaries where he talks about he he thought about his dad, and it kind of gave him a tear when he looked and he saw everyone like, wow, I I can't I can't believe we we did this. And a lot of the wrestlers all throughout the night, even guys who weren't the greatest workers, they worked their butts off. They were bumping. Like there was almost very few, I think maybe one or two of the matches that I I felt like the guys didn't put a great effort in. So I think everybody could understand what kind of a huge night this was. There were some nice promos cut and it would just, this is just a good show. I mean, there was a a really strong build and we start right off the bat. It was a good, uh, uh, it was a good opener. And during the opener, yeah, we have the tag team of the Can Am, uh, what the Cam Am connection and versus Magnificent Morocco and Cowboy Bob Orton. So in this, we have uh, Martel and Tom Zank, which are the Cam Am connection. They were only together for you know six months or so because Tom Zank did not have a very long run in uh, in WWE WWF at the time. And we see uh, Morocco, who was a former IC champ with Mr. Fuji. And then we see Randy's dad, Bob Orton. Bob Orton was involved in the main event of WrestleMania 1. He was in the corner of Orndorff and Piper. Now he's opening things in, in this one. This was just kind of like a good opener. Uh, Martel was a good tag wrestler. He was After this, he got into strike force with Tito Santana uh, the, the year following. And it was just kind of get the crowd hot and give the baby faces a win. I think get, get the crowd going. Yeah, it was. And, and I actually, you know, they weren't together for a long time, but but they were a pretty, pretty fun tag team. They, they were, were a lot of like force, you know, kind of like the high flying young, you know, good looking guys jumping all over the place. I remember, I mean, Orton kind of took a lot of a lot of a beating in this uh, yep. this match. I mean, he was in there for quite a bit in the beginning and then Morocco would come in 
and take a couple of licks. You know, the ending, the finish was kind of cute the way they did it uh, with that little cowboy trip up there. Uh, yeah, but it, it was. I mean, it was a good match. It, it kind of set the tone for one thing that I thought in WrestleMania 3 is very interesting. So, like, nowadays you go to WrestleMania, if there's 14 matches, the thing takes six, seven hours. You could have two matches that combined are over an hour. The entire WrestleMania 3, you have about an hour and 20 minutes of actual ring time. Yeah. And I think I think that's why, to your point, about these guys going full bore, you know, taking big bumps, giving everything they had. Because a lot of these matches were... Five, four, five, six minutes. Yep. Minutes. Yeah. It was boom, 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 high-flying, big stuff, big hits, made the point, next match. And, you know, in 1987, you're not going to be able to keep people there for seven hours. It's hard enough to do it in 2020. I have a question for both of you. And this is one of the things that I looked up because I couldn't believe it when I thought of it. How is Rick Martel not in the WWE Hall of Fame for everything that he's done? Between I know. the Can-Am Connection, Strike Force, the model. Which is a great, a great gimmick, WA, too. He had himself a really good career. I remember in the late 1990s, he showed up in WCW and he could still work. He, he was like in the U.S. title stuff with yeah. Booker T. Yeah, yeah, he it was pretty good. Really good matches with Booker T. And then his back gave out. I know that he's still on good terms with the company because he's been in a couple of recent video games. Wouldn't be surprised to see him show up at a Hall of Fame induction at some point soon. Yeah, he was but great. Co-signing yeah. with a couple of things that uh, you guys have mentioned. This was a really good opener. And, Gino, you mentioned it. The crowd going insane for everything the baby faces did. Now, part of that's a credit to Morocco and Orton because Morocco, despite being built as weirdly as any top superstar in the company for a while, I mean, he was pretty much all upper body and you yeah. couldn't really <laughs> understand how he was moving. He was moving really good. Bob Orton, an underrated technical wrestler in his own right, without the cast in this match, by the yeah, way. Yeah, you're so right. He dumped the cast, but it was a really good opener, and I agree with Darren. The finish was pretty creative. Yeah, hey, guys, uh, I, I, I know we're talking about WrestleMania 3, but we have some breaking news to drop. Okay. Uh, Roman Reigns is out of WrestleMania. Wow. What? Wow. Uh, I just, due to, wow. Due to his history with leukemia, and being immunocompromised, he's that not comfortable uh, performing in that kind of an environment. So he's actually isolating himself for the time being. Wow, that's and that makes sense. That's something that I've I, people have told me as, as someone who's been uh, a cancer survivor too. That um, yeah. a, a lot of times you got to be re- even extra, extra careful. So wow, that will that will change things. We'll find out maybe Friday night how if they're going to change that because I, I I'd imagine now they they know this going forward, so they probably have something planned. This this was probably like a something that they already have taped that the rumor got out now, you know, that, that he's not. So, wow. Yeah. Great. Good, good, uh, good. Fine. Darren, glad that you were able to, to, to share that. So that's all good. right. Where's Hulk Hogan. Can he still yeah. go? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, brother. Hogan, Let's... Hogan Goldberg too. Yeah. <laughs> everybody, everybody complained that they did it on a nitro taping. They should have saved it from a pay-per-view. They could put it in the big pay-per-view of the year with nobody in the crowd. That's in the seats. That's <laughs> in the seats. <laughs> That's funny. Hogan Goldberg too. That is great. <laughs> so breaking news there. Wow. We'll we'll definitely be um reacting and responding to that more next week once we know uh, a little bit more about about what's going to happen. Uh, back on Mania three. So. Um, well, one thing too, before we get into the, the second match, I thought was really fun. We heard Gorilla mention it, and he said it once, and then he says it later when Brett comes in. But he mentions uh, excellence of execution, which was always a, a term that was coined, you know, for for Bret Hart. Which uh, Gorilla was the one that kind of came up with that. So um, that I, it was fun to hear that a couple a couple different times. And I got to mention the 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 announce team 
with Gorilla and with Jesse To me this is like a top three Top by at least top five Probably top three announced team I think maybe only Gorilla and Bobby w- w- Maybe better You can you can make arguments for JR and the King maybe or But to me this this is as good as it gets And with the celebrity involvement in WrestleMania 3 I mean Mary Hart is fine She comes in from entertainment tonight And she does a, a decent job But Bob Euchre has to be You know Thought of as maybe the best ever celebrity Like in in this capacity He was awesome He totally got it The it of what wrestling was He was funny, self-deprecating He'll like, you know, make fun of himself And make fun of a wrestler He just like, him and WWE were a really good marriage It's either Bob Euchre or Pete Rose As far as the best best stars (laughs) at a WrestleMania But with Euchre, a couple of different things come to mind He had a couple of really good lines His pursuit of the fabulous Mulo Was an underrated funny part of WrestleMania (laughs) 3 Nice little running gag there But the next year when he came back He did a couple of backstage interviews And that was where the famous spot Where Andre the Giant choked him during Mm -hmm. an interview came in WWE replayed that for years and years and years And Bob Euchre Still going strong Still doing his thing with the Brewers from time to time And uh, his his bits in Major League Of course some of the greatest lines In the history of, of sports movies So not a shock that he took to wrestling Like a duck to water Yeah, No question about it I mean Major League yeah, Serrano's going to need a rocket up his ass To get that <laughs> one no, but no question. I, I think Euchre's number one and Rose is number two just because of the great work that he did in color, three, four, and five, you know, chasing around looking for Vanna White for the entire pay-per-view. Yeah. I mean, you know, just just epic stuff. And the way that, that Ventura would just kind of verbally smack him around the entire time was absolutely hysterical. And, yeah, I mean, you, listen, the, you know, the guys that do work today, they're, they're, they're fine. Obviously, JR is, is, you know, one of, if not the greatest of all time. But those early WrestleMania announcing crews, you just couldn't beat them. Yeah, they were funny. You could tell they crack each other up a lot of time, you know, Gorilla and, and Jesse, and, uh, and 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 this was good stuff. And, and we move on to our next match. Um, and so, like the, the you know the good opener, Can Am Connection get the win, and uh, and they were a team that it looked like they were going to get built up until uh, Tom Zank ended up leaving, and then Martel joins up with uh, with Tito Santana to form Strike Force. The second Chico. match, uh, yeah, Chico, Chico, the flying burrito, the fly, the flying jalapeno, <laughs> um, and. Uh, and then the next match. See what what I love about this mania in particular. Like even even a match like this, like the the Hercules versus Billy Jack Haynes. Like I just remember this. Like I remember this match, the full Nelson challenge. You know, it was a double DQ, and then ap- afterwards Hercules brings out the chain. They they went at it pretty good. You know, for the most part, another one of these like short matches where they're just kind of throwing blows, and it's more about the story. Than it really is about the match quality But this was a fun feud This had a, like a lot of build up weeks before That's the one thing that I really noticed going through All of these matches Even low down the undercard Almost all of them have really really strong Backstories and builds Yeah I, one of my favorite parts of this match Is like the analysis when they get The full Nelson in. Does, does he have the finger block? Let's see Are, are, are the fingers <laughs> behind that? You know, like, like, what is happening? Oh no they're not He doesn't have the finger block just, You know it was like you know, and finally, I mean, the, the majority of this match was just kind of, you know, a couple of bruisers knocking each other around, a couple of slams, a lot, a lot of big blows. Uh, eventually, obviously, they get to the outside, and and what happens? And and Billy Jack ends up getting busted open, you know, at, at the end of it with with the melee after the match is over. But yeah, just you go from kind of the K and M connection flying around and doing some cool stuff to these two guys just beating each other up for about six or seven minutes and eventually it going outside. But, you know, one thing that I that I kind of noticed watching this match, I don't know why I didn't notice it before. 
And they, you know, Kenny Omega is a hundred times the wrestler of Hercules. But watch Hercules go into the ropes and go off the ropes and watch Omega do it. It's very similar the way they hit the ropes. Yeah. I don't know what I know what you mean. Really? Okay. I got a kick out of the pre-match promo that Hercules did where <laughs> yeah. he simultaneously tried to act like both a Greek god and a monster heel. <laughs> and looking back, you sort of wonder like... what was going on there. And when I was watching this, I remembered the opener being good. I hadn't watched WrestleMania three in a couple of years. So I was actually looking for an excuse to watch it. So Gino, thanks for that. Uh, but it's a case where I watched the match and I remember being very pleasantly surprised because I didn't think this match was any good when I watched it as a kid. Yeah. But you look at it and there's some psychology there. Billy Jack Haynes could move for mm -hmm. a guy his size. You wonder why he wasn't a bigger star because he had a really good look. And then you listen to some of the shoot interviews he says, that he's done the past I was going to say, look, look and, him up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's probably why. <laughs> Yeah, that, it was it's memorable though, and it was good. And then he he's bleed afterwards. He gets busted open by the chain, and he's um he's bleeding. He 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 cuts himself. You can you can kind of see what he does it too. But it was oh, yeah. just it's a super memorable match for um a feud and just like a, a one of the lower matches on the card. And the, the same thing with the next match that we get to, which was um King Kong Bundy with the the two little people. It's a six man tag, and there's um. The, the midget wrestlers, so there's four of the midget wrestlers in here King Kong Bundy's on one team with the other two And uh, Hillbilly Jim's on the other team with the other two Talk about a, a fall from one year to the next, huh? The main event of WrestleMania 2 in a steel cage against Hulk Hogan for the world title And then you're in a, a six-man tag with Hillbilly Jim Like, just kind of a, a filler on the card But this is, you know what? King Kong Bundy actually got his WrestleMania moment when he ends up squashing Little Beaver with the the elbow drop in here. This was fun. Like this is kind of what Andrew mentioned. You have something on the card for everyone. The kids like this, and it, it was able to kind of continue with the the heel that is King Kong Bundy. And it was just a kind of a fun thing to get the you know some of the the little folks on the uh, on the card. I got a couple of things here, and uh, first of all, to anyone who's listening and who might not necessarily be familiar with the genre we're talking about, this is how the wrestlers were referred to back in those days. Yep. We're not being politically incorrect here. This is just, It's how they were marketed, so they get in a time machine, take it up with other people. Um, however, having said that, first of all, thank goodness they didn't give Hillbilly Jim a microphone, judging by what we saw at the Hall of Fame a couple yeah. of years ago. Yeah, he it would have still, still been going. Be talking. Yeah. I'm just saying, he might still be talking. Um, meanwhile, yeah, you'll look at the match and from a technical standpoint, it is, it is not anything resembling a classic to put it extremely mildly, but Bundy elbow drops the little person and then all the other little people come chasing him out of the <laughs> yeah, ring yeah. and Jesse, the body Ventura yells those turncoats. <laughs> and for some reason, I found that hysterical. Yeah, I I was going to say, you know, I think this match lasted about three minutes. Uh, Hillbilly Jim's speech went on for about 20 times longer. <laughs> this match was the, was the name of one of the guys, Lord Littlebrook. Lord Littlebrook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, Bundy plays the mega heel here. Obviously, there's not much wrestling going on in the match. It's more of a, you know, a little comedy riff. And, and Hillbilly ends up being the big hero, the big face you know, with all the little guys around them. But, uh, yeah, I mean, look, there's not much to say about the match beyond what we've said. A little bit of a filler, three and a half minutes. Everyone gets a good laugh. 
we flip the page to the next one. Jesse actually kind of calls it early on in the match. He says, I hope that Bundy gives one of these little guys the big kibosh. <laughs> and, 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 and then like, yeah. And then like two minutes later, he does. And I was like, oh man, he called it right before it happened. So yeah, that's, that was funny. Um, as we move on to a Macho Man uh, promo with Elizabeth, Mary Hart's trying to talk to Elizabeth and Macho just keeps cutting her off and he keeps trying to talk. And um, so just a little, a little quick interaction there. Uh, but we move up next to the build uh, for the footage and the rivalry between Harley Race and JYD. Just another one where, you know, you look at the two involved, JYD at this point of his career, he wasn't really much of a worker, but it was a short match that had a really fun backstory, really fun build. They were battling over the King gimmick. It was something that they wanted to give Harley Race when he came over um, to, to kind of elevate him and show that he was a star. And uh, and it was great. You, you know, you pair him with Bobby Heenan. Harley Race worked really hard in this match. He had a short little WWF run, but he had a good match against Hulk Hogan for the title that was on a Saturday night's main event. And he ends up getting hurt when he goes through a table and that back injury kind of ends his career. But he is like Andrew Texan me uh, the other day and said, man, Harley race is really bumping around here. So Andrew, you know, like I thought this was a fun match. The, the it's more again about not as much about the in-ring quality than it is about the whole story. What happens after the thing with the King gimmick and JYD stealing the robe and putting it on, but all together as a package, I really enjoyed this. The biggest yeah, pop of the. Oh, I'm sorry, guy. Darren, go ahead. No, no, no. You first. You're, you're the adopted Italian for the night. You're up. <laughs> <laughs> now, at any rate, um, the thing that I remember that struck me right off the rip: Hulk Hogan got the biggest pop of the night, unquestionably. Then there's a golf. Two, three, and four in some order were Steamboat, Piper, and the Junkyard Dog. Oh yeah. People forget how big of a star Junkyard Dog was in the early to mid-1980s. This was 1987, a couple of years past his prime. But when Grab Them Cakes came over the PA system, the place went nuts. And you mentioned, we had texted this, Harley Race did everything possible here. He got in very little offense in the match, and it ended sort of out of nowhere with Harley Race giving the belly-to-belly suplex after JYD sort of controlled the match for a couple of minutes. Harley Race gets the win. JYD gets his heat back afterwards. Good, clean fun. Yeah, it was. You know, you you know what's coming when he's sitting on the steel chair. I mean, you know, JYD gives that little kind of uh, funny little bow and and obviously takes the chair to to the king. Uh, the one thing I remember, the the big grin on his face when he's when he's leaving. Yes, uh, waving, ring, waving to the crowd like like the president of the United States, like yeah. walking out with this big grin on his face. With the with the uh, with the robe on and everything, I mean that that's the kind of image that I took away from a match that, like you said, didn't have a whole lot of wrestling in it, but was a great story and a good finish. You know, one of the other things we we're talking about uh, JYD quickly that I remember. I, I don't know if you guys remember the uh, the match between Flair and Sting, the Great American Bash match, where mm-hmm. they had all the wrestlers on the outside of the ring when Sting pins Flair. The JYD is actually one of the guys out the ring, and the big reaction outside the ring comes from JYD. I don't know why I remember that. And he and he was the winner of the Wrestling Classic, which was the first ever WWF pay per view, and it mm-hmm. was a, a tournament that they have. You can watch it on the network, and it was like their their early King of the Ring, and so that was kind of a, a like another play here as JYD had won this tournament a few years back, and Harley Race was now the the quote unquote King of the Ring, but he was crazy over i mean 
for the first like 84, 85, and then and probably even up until like right around here. Um, this was a little like a little past. He was like number two babyface uh, in the company. Like he wasn't ever going to be against Hogan, and he probably was never going to be in like title matches. But he was like the next guy. He himself was like main event draw as is he was beloved all over the place. He was always a big star. And then what's funny is even after this, you mentioned like he went and he had a run where he was in the main event with Ric Flair and WCW, even like a year or two after this, when he didn't really have a whole lot left. So um, th- this was just fun though. And, uh, and another match where it's like, I just remember the, the moments you remember seeing, like you said, Darren GYD uh, being roll, wheeled out in the little mini uh, WrestleMania carts, which are really cool too. The carts that they, another part of WrestleMania 3, the carts that bring you down to the ring just kind of makes it seem even that much bigger as you have to like wait to, to, to be brought all the way down to the ring. This was a lot of fun. And, um, we, uh, you know, Mula was involved there too, and then some of the with the stuff with Bobby, and she was the queen of the ring considered. So yeah, there's like a lot of a, a lot of moving pieces in here, and that was a lot of fun. We then we get a, a Hogan promo, which is really good, and he, you know, he was the underdog here. This was that wasn't really like Hogan speak. He really was the underdog against someone who had not been beaten, you know, in in WWF, you know. Um, lineage and who had not been Even knocked down much Andre like when he gets knocked down later on There's an unbelievable roar Just for him go- getting to the floor So this was a fun promo from Hogan And then next up we have Rougeau brothers uh, Jacques and Raymond versus the Dream Team Valentine and Brutus the Barber Beefcake With Jimmy Valiant and Dino Bravo I mean Dino Bravo to me It was just like go away heat I just never I just hated Dino Bravo He was not even like the way you're supposed to hate a heel I just always was like get this guy off of my damn TV um, but, but even this which is just like a pretty basic Tag match you have the, the Fact that after the match Brutus Beefcake ends up turning babyface. He comes out and is a part of the next match. Then he becomes the barber. So even just a like a nondescript tag match still has a, a pretty big moment at the end. It it does, and the uh, it was actually a good finish too because the yeah the Rujos did that flying. You know that that was a pretty aggressive move for, for the time. Yeah, for that time to come off the top rope like that, go over your partner's head. You're hitting the guy basically. You know, his head is, is in between your legs. You're driving him down. I mean, that, that's a big move for 87. And then you get the heel finish where, where Dino comes off the top, hits the guy, and rolls Valentine over. But, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was a good match. I mean, uh, the Rougeos could really work. You know, Valentine was, was, was good for certain things in the ring as well. But, yeah, I mean, th- then you have the moment at the end where you get the turn of, of Beefcake, and, and he ends up going on his kind of babyface run and, and, and becomes, well, as we'll talk about, you know, because people don't realize at this point he was not Brutus the Barber. Beefcake. No, he's no he's no barber. He's no There's barber. He's yeah. Brutus Beefcake. The barber thing just kind of develops. And I remember that there's a great story where Beefcake, and you can watch it on one of the documentaries on the WWE Network, where he talks about the fact that they're trying to sell him on this idea that you're going to be the barber. And he's like, oh my god, this is the weird. They're going to make me go out there with these stupid scissors. I'm going to look like an idiot. And really, nobody remembers him as anything but the bar. Yeah, it was great. Yep. Andrew, what are your thoughts on this match? uh, I'm personally more partial to the disciple rather than the barber. But then (laughs) the zodiac or uh, whatever. Yeah. Oh gosh. Now the the other thing that I can say about this match for me it was just sort of there. The Rujos could work, but it didn't really hit me all that hard. Having said that, Gino. History would prove that no matter how much you hated Dino Bravo, at least one other person or group of people hated him more. Yeah. 
That's true. Uh, do you know Do you know Bravo who was like uh, You know now we're starting to see um, Some of these wrestlers coming in who were definite mainstays From that like first golden era Really of WWF from like 84, 85 to about 99 Early 90, 91, 92 or so Like right with about when Hogan left um, For the you know for the first time and um, yeah, this was just you know, kind of a match, you know, but a good good moment at the end. And then we get set up for like a really really fun match. Another one was like Piper came back um, as a baby face after his WrestleMania one run as a heel, and then he starts doing the Piper's Pit a, a quite uh, a lot. And he, he's got this feud going with uh, Adrian Adonis, who's got the Flower Shop, which was kind of a takeoff uh, on Piper's Pit, was kind of used while Piper was gone. And this was supposed to be. Uh, uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper's final match He was retiring, he was going to Hollywood To become an actor, I believe They Live Came out one year following this um, This, like 1988 And that that was going to be his focus We we know that, I'm, I'm glad he comes back A few years later for one of my favorite underrated Matches at Wrestlemania versus Bret Hart For the IC title, which was really, Wait, really good Brilliant match Yeah, yeah. Um, but this this just shows you Like, man, Piper is Over, the crowd loves him Here, he is just Getting unbelievable responses He cuts a really fun, intense Like quick promo before we get a promo from Adonis also, but and, and Another one where it's like, yeah If you didn't have the volume up And if you didn't know the stories and stuff And you're just watching these two work, you'd be like, okay it, The match was fine, but knowing Everything, the whole package of this all together This was just a blast Yeah, no, it, it was, and one of the really cool parts I like about this match with Ventura on it that he keeps referencing that that him and Adonis were were previously tag team. Yep. Partners. Yeah. Uh, and that was in the old AWA. They were actually known as the East West Connection. Uh, <laughs> Ventura was billed as the guy from California. Adonis was the guy from New York, and they actually beat uh, Vern Gagne and Mag Dog Bashan, who of course is Luna yeah. Bashan, uh, to win the AWA tag team belts. Uh, I think that was in like eighty or, or eighty one. They held the belts, I think, for close to a year, but. Uh, and then, of course, they did wrestle in the WWF as the East-West Connection. So, uh, yeah, I mean, so you get that playing in. You know, I didn't really love the the transition of Adonis's character to this adorable thing because he was completely the opposite of that. <laughs> yeah. He became adorable, Adrian Adonis. And, of course, the play on words and that there was absolutely nothing adorable uh, about him. But, yeah, you get you get the match. You know, it, it's fun. Piper does what Piper does. And then, of course, you get you get the crazy sell at the end where the barber becomes the barber and, uh, you know, you get the haircut. And, and, and of course, when he punches the mirror, you know, it's like it's like the great moment. Yep. Of, oh, my God, he punched the mirror like and he loses his mind. And it, it, it's just it, you're right about it. it. It's just a lot of fun. It's entertaining as hell. And uh, and of course, Piper, you know, is, is fantastic. I love these conversations because we all remember different things about this. And that's one of the things that makes this match as great as it was. What I remembered was, first of all, they made Adrian Adonis, adorable Adrian Adonis, as sort of a punishment because he came back from a stint of vacation. And while he was never a svelte individual, he came back significantly heavier. He could still work, but it was a punishment sort of thing he still managed to get it over more power to him unfortunately he died not long after this match in a horrible car accident but on the good side what i remember about this match is gino you mentioned the carts that brought everybody to the ring before piper came out one of the carts broke and they were milling around milling around milling around 
Piper, by all accounts, said, screw it. I'm going out there without one. And that fit his character yeah, it perfectly. Did. It's a good point. I don't point. know if yeah. I would have taken him as seriously getting carted to the ring like that. That guy was coming out for a fight. And him doing that caused a massive reaction right as he got into the ring. And I think he knew it, judging by the look on his face when he raised his arms and was addressing the crowd before the match started. I think he knew he made the right call, and uh, history certainly bears that out. This match is not a technical classic, but on the fun scale, it's one of the most fun matches to go back and rewatch. They got the shears, and then, then after the match, uh, Adonis gets his haircut, and then um, and and then Jimmy Hart's covering his head as they walk down the aisle, which is great. As they're running away, he's like, "Don't don't look at him," you know. It's just just fun. And you you mentioned the run, Andrew. That was like the same. It reminds me a lot of '92 Royal Rumble. When he comes out and flares in the ring And Piper kind of just throws his hands up And he does like the crazy run At Ric Flair you know <laughs> It's kind of in that sense it's like I'm coming right at you Which is just great like uh, that's, a, that's a great point to mention and, and this was a blast like you know I'm glad we got to see Piper come back because he was my He was one of my favorites and um, And he was what's incredible There were there are few people Who could get the same Reaction out of the crowd no matter What side he was on he did it in Mania 1, and then he did it here in Mania 3, and there are just so few people that can be just as good on either side uh, as, a, as a babyface or as a bad guy. Yeah, yeah, the, no question. I mean, uh, I, I remember, you know, because you remember the Hart Foundation were heels, yep. and, and, and they used to get a lot of heat. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brett, Brett is a guy who worked who worked really well as a heel with the Hart Foundation, and of course, when he became a face you know, was was one of the biggest baby faces of the of the early to mid nineties. So, but yeah, you you can count on one hand the number of guys that can get that kind of a reaction both ways. Yeah, so, it's Hogan, it's Piper, it's Brett, Savage. Savage. Yeah. yeah, and they're the greats for some reason. Like Mike Shawn Michaels, kind of could get them both yeah. ways. He could get Austin. under your skin that way. Austin, yeah. It's just there's not many, but the ones that they are, they're the all time greats. The Rock, obviously, you know, yeah. like both both sides. So just. Uh, just you just saw the talent that he had. That was that was a, a ton of fun right there. And uh, you, you know your typical brawl for, from Piper for the most part. He gets the sleeper in to win. And uh, and after this, oh, one one other point too. As he's walking out, the crazy fan that jumps in the ring. Um, that's that's like one thing that gets talked about in a lot of the documentaries. You see, he's leaving, and some fan just jumps in the ring and real quick. And Piper's like, "Oh wow!" He kind of like pats him on the back, and they cut away from it. And you can see security like just kind of shooing the guy out of the ring real quick. But uh, I'm sure when there were ninety, you know, that many people around, it's probably hard to keep uh, tabs on everyone who, who wanted to kind of jump in. And that was another another weird thing I always remember about that when, match. When uh, Piper hits him with the strap the first time, I mean, that was like. That looked like a vicious, like, like full blown wound up, and this the like the sound that you heard. It, I mean, I, I'm sitting there. I remember watching, going, "Oh my god!" Like, how did yeah. he even flinch? <laughs> it was, yeah, it was intense. It was another one where it was just, "Hey, we're gonna have a mat, a six, seven minute match, and it's gonna be more about the story. Like, just go out there and work hard." And, and that's you what know, these guys did. Adonis, Adonis does the uh, he does the Ric Flair in the corner move in this match too. You yeah, know? yeah, he does. Uh, for a big guy, he does the throw me into the corner and and flip upside down and go over the top rope move. 
He can and, move. I mean, it's it really was a tragedy when he unfortunately died a short time later because he wasn't an old guy either. He had a no. lot of wrestling still left, and they might have been able to build him up as a potential challenger to Hogan down the line for some of the house show runs that they did. It's uh, mm. It was really unfortunate that that happened when it did because he uh, he's a guy that sometimes gets lost in the shuffle. And we get the great announcement from the Fink. The winner in his farewell match, Rowdy Roddy Piper, which uh, just a, a good a good start to like the first half of WrestleMania, uh, WrestleMania well, three. Beefcake Beefcake also talks about this match uh, in his documentary with the uh, with the hair when he had to cut Adonis's hair. The uh, the 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 buzzer that they gave him, the blade on the buzzer was terrible, and he was having an awful time just struggling with it. <laughs> trying to cut the hair and he's saying nothing is happening like he's just running this and and then he's like this is a disaster they want me to be the barber and i can't even cut hair right (laughs) (laughs) that's great that is great and the proud the crowd just goes nuts as rowdy roddy piper um uh leaves so uh and gorilla even says the last time we will ever see him in the squared circle which was definitely not the case um, next up was the Hart Foundation with Brett the Hitman Hart, Jim the Anvil Nye Hart, and uh, Dangerous Danny Davis, who was making his debut as a wrestler. He was the, the former ref who was suspended for screwing over the British Bulldogs and Tito Santana in their title matches. And um, so we have the, the Bulldogs come out with Tito Santana and Matilda. And it's unfortunate because this was starting to get to the point where... Um, um, when Dynamite Kid was was injured, he had you know some spurts where he was just really really injured. I mean, from a talent standpoint, he was incredible and maybe uh, w- would have been in, like a really really all time great if he just if he didn't have the injuries that he suffered. But uh, you know this this is fun and, and what you would expect it to be a good six man. Um, they end up Danny Davis gets the cheap win at the end. It's the where the where the heels cheat, but as you would expect with the Bulldogs and um, and Tito and, and the Hart Foundation, like it's it's a pretty good worked, it's pretty well worked match. I loved yeah. right before the bell when Matilda went after Jimmy Hart. That was <laughs> outstanding, and it might be the one time where I was a fan and said, you know what, this Matilda thing might actually work. Because that was tremendous, and Jimmy Hart sold it beautifully, and that was uh, that was the preface to a really good six-man match between a bunch of guys that could work. A Dynamite Kid, even at his broken-down age, where he could only do a couple of spots, he still had enough left in the tank for this, and that was good to see. Obviously, that's a really complex situation where you had a small guy pumping himself up with God knows what and causing a number of injuries to himself in the process, both structurally and from a brain damage standpoint, you have to think judging by his actions lately, but British Bulldog was a big prospect at the time. Tito Santana could work. We all know about the heart foundation and dangerous. Danny Davis could get heat. No, he could. And and, Gino, we talked about in one of our previous dialogues about WrestleMania storylines and how I had said, I really missed the days where they would build into storylines for for months and oh months. yeah, and and you really didn't know that the storyline was even happening when it started to build. That's how good some of these creative ideas were. And and Danny Davis, they started doing this like you know shady referee stuff like the middle of '86. It started. Yeah, like a year, like, like a year almost and a half. You know, yeah, like over like, a year before this stuff. Yeah, yeah, and and the build to like this match. 
you know, where, where, where they just, you don't even know what's happening until, until you get there. And I mean, he takes some serious bumps in this match. He takes a pile driver from the bulldog. That's no joke. It's spiked, uh, Yeah. Spike pile driver. Uh, I remember the one move where, uh, Bret Hart slingshots him over the top rope, thinking that he's gonna like splash on uh, on Tito, and 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 he gets or whoever, I forget exactly which wrestler it was, but they get their knees up, and and Bret turns around and you see him just yell out, "What happened?" <laughs> <laughs> and but he takes, I mean, he takes the spike pile driver from the bulldog, he takes a vertical suplex from the bulldog, and then he takes the running power slam from the bulldog in three straight moves. You know, and and Danny Davis was a jobber too. And then, of course, after he takes the power slam, well, hell breaks loose. Tito comes in with the elbow. Brett comes in, knocks Tito out. Him and Dynamite get to work, and then you get the you know the big heel finish with the megaphone coming in and 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 knocking a Bulldog on the floor. I mean, it, it's a very well done match. You have some phenomenal workers in the ring, so it's to be expected. And and I don't know if you've seen the Bret Hart uh, skull broken skull shots, broken skull sessions yet. But uh, he talked about Dynamite, and he said that that Dynamite, in his opinion, was the best ring worker he's ever seen. The stampede stuff between those two guys was yeah. 15, 20 years ahead of its time by all accounts. And uh, there's reason for that. Those two guys could work. And uh, when you work at that level like Dynamite did, there are certain Faustian bargains that you make, and, and he made them. But uh, it makes for some fascinating viewing, to be sure. Mm-hmm. No question. We get a uh, an Andre Heenan promo next, and it's funny when I was listening to this promo, I couldn't help but think of just how you know, like the Heenan Hulk Hulk feud was so great for so many years, and even when they went to WCW, how it turned when they both turned. One of my favorite things ever is like Bash at the Beach when you know Hogan comes out for, to to be in the NWO for the first time, and you know. Heenan says, "What? But who is he? Which which side is he on?" And then when he when he turns and he, he's the first one saying, "I told you, I told you all along, he was a bad guy," you know. And he says, uh, "Hulkamania is dead." And it was just funny to 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 know how long that these guys went at each other. They were really great rivals because um, a lot of the time it wasn't even who Hogan was wrestling; it was Hogan's like rival and opponent was Bobby Heenan, and you know because whoever you put Heenan with was going to get a ton of heat and was going to just be a good foil for Hulk Hogan um, on the other side. So there were some really good uh, promos, different promos throughout the show. I thought from from Bobby, from Andre, um, and Hogan had a good one. This next match was just you could tell they were trying to build up Butch Reed, the natural and. And it's Butch Reed versus Coco. This is just not a very good match. Um, Coco was kind of that that guy who you would you would put the new heel over Coco um, as you were starting to build him up. And uh, I think they they had high hopes for Butch Reed, but he never really clicked a, a whole lot in WWF as much as he did before and after. Yeah, his work in Mid South was really good before yep. WWF. I mean, he had some great stuff where he worked uh, in programs. With, remember, Jim Duggan was was a heel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, Mid-South, and he used to work against him in Mid-South, and, and, and JYD was involved in it. Ted DiBiase was involved with it. Uh, I think Volkoff. I mean, th- there were some monster names uh, that he worked with very well in Mid-South. And then even after WWF, where he was only there for a, for a couple of years, uh, I, his work in NWA and Jim Crockett after that I thought was extremely good also. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this match is what it is. It's, you know, Coco doing a couple of big drop kicks you know, three minutes, putting the big heel over, like you said. But, uh, yeah, I, I always – I liked Butch Reed. I really liked his work in Mid-South. I liked him in the NWA uh, afterward. But he he never really got the push that I would have liked to have seen in WWF. 
No, this match was just sort of there, and that's the mm-hmm. best way to put it. It yeah. was a case where they were trying to build up Butch Reed, and for obvious reasons, he had a tremendous look. He could work, and that was borne out by, as Darren mentioned, what he did before and after. His tag team with Ron Simmons as Doom was, yeah. That was yeah, they were great. Stuff. Yeah. And he comes in, beats the daylights out of Coco Beware, because that's what Coco Beware did everywhere he was for his entire career. Uh, Chris Jericho actually tells a really funny story about Coco in his first book, where he would wind up going to Coco Beware for tips whenever he was in town because he was just not intimidated by him in the slightest. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a good read. But uh, anyway, yeah, Butch Reed gets the win here, and that acted as sort of a bridge between a good match in the six-man match to a match that a lot of people think is one of the best matches of all time. Yeah, yeah. and that's that's a Ricky Steamboat versus Macho Man, and we talk about builds and long builds. This was an awesome build up. Um, the two went back and forth, and uh, Macho was in, um, ended up winning uh, the IC title. He reigned. He had the title for just a, a long time, and um, George the Animal Steel was one who was kind of uh, feuding with Macho. That was in WrestleMania two. Elizabeth was involved. And then you know you had the stuff with the ring bell and the crushed larynx um, of uh, of Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. And right before this match, which as Andrew mentioned, if you're making a list of the best matches in WWF history, definitely the best WrestleMania matches. Like you, you don't go very far before this match gets listed. And if anybody says it, it's number one, you're not going to argue with them. And it really still holds up. But what I really liked is that, you know, Ricky Steamboat was never thought of as much of a promo guy, but man, he cut a really good promo right before this match. It wasn't anything crazy, but he was very intense. He was looking right at the camera. He was very passionate. And I remember like one of those things that like you always, for some reason, remember. And and he says, we have reached our moment. And that's just like one I always remember right before it almost gave me goosebumps. Like every time I watched that the match thinking, wow, that was great. And you could tell they just go at it right away. This match is 14 minutes, a little longer. It it is just counter after counter after work. Um, all the the backstory about this match and how they they sit down and Macho Man and Randy Savage had pages and pages oh. and pages of it of it written down and it and Steamboat thought he was crazy, but I mean whatever they did. Uh, Darren, this match is awesome And um, it is going to go down forever As one of the greatest WWE matches I mean, just the, one of the greatest matches of all time Yeah, I mean, look it, It's two phenomenal workers I mean, I you know, I remember like those I, the, 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 They weren't arm drags That Steamboat would do, but they were like He would have, he would, you know, twirl the arm over And then he would like lift them in the air And Savage would look like he was 10 feet in the air crashing just... down, Like, just going, the way they would go Over the top rope and you know, just drape the arm over over the uh, over the rope, or you know, obviously playing up the stuff with the bell and the larynx. He's got the bell again. Here we go again. And I mean, just two incredible workers selling the story. The entire match, which is about fifteen minutes long, obviously it's by far the longest match throughout the, of the show. But even the even the way Savage like would throw Steamboat into the ropes, like it wasn't just. Like take him and like throw him from behind. He would grab Steamboat by like the back of the and head. Hair, yeah. Launch him into like it was just like everything was done with such like purpose and you know taking it from from this point to that point. And then when you see that documentary, like you alluded to, uh, Gino, about how Savage sat down and wrote this entire match out on like yellow legal paper. <laughs> Like every, not just like call, like every single spot and having it planned out. And 
you know, it's incredible because you would think if you do something like that, something's going to go wrong. You know, you're going to mess something up and it's going to screw up the flow of the match. It didn't happen. Yeah. You get one of the most phenomenal matches that we've ever seen in WrestleMania. And, uh, of course, the ending, you know, I, I, I love an ending that catches you off guard. You know, I, I love the roll-up. I love the small package. I don't think they do it enough today. And, and I think it's a phenomenal way that the match ended. Phenomenal is a good word for that match. It's magic from start to finish. The entire angle was perfect. Steamboat getting his comeuppance in the end with a big win like that. Ending a reign that had been for some time. Randy Savage held the Intercontinental title for a very, very, very long time. George the Animal Steel getting his element of revenge after the previous year was great as well. And then you had Macho Man Randy Savage who lost that match, but you knew was going to be on to bigger and better things. And then the next jury winds up winning the world championship at WrestleMania four in a show where the less said about that, the better. But at any rate, (laughs) The story that I remember, and this is another Jericho story from one of his books. He was wrestling Ricky Steamboat back in 2008 when Steamboat came out for a couple of months. And they were doing a house show match, and Jericho decided to let Steamboat get a win. Only he forgot, you know, the word association with small package and what it was. So he picks Steamboat up, and he whistles in, whispers into his ear, uh, 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 WrestleMania 3 finish. that's exactly what they did and agents backstage were howling and the crowd loved it and ricky steamboat one of the top five in-ring technicians uh, of any era that's how good he was and as a baby face few have ever been better you look at that match you look at his matches with Flair. Yeah, you yeah. look at his matches with Rick Rude in the early to mid '90s in WCW. The guy had such a body of work. I mean, he was unbelievable when he came back and worked against Jericho. Yeah, you know, I mean, like late, way, like, like you know, 10, 12 years ago, whenever that was. You know, I guess it was freaking insane. And it's just unfortunate that after this match, he decided he he wanted some time off, but. That wound up giving us the year-plus-long reign of the Honky Tonk Man, (laughs) which in turn led to the push of the Ultimate Warrior. It's really funny how this stuff comes together. It it is. Real real quick, we talked about uh, people being in the Hall of Fame. I mean, Miss Elizabeth not being in the Hall of Fame is like the biggest biggest trap. I I understand there's probably some political things involved in that and whatever. But, I mean, come on. I mean, you know. Like, what are we, what are we doing here? She's the greatest manager, you know, well, a female manager, obviously by a country mile, the stuff that she did with Hogan and Savage. And I mean, the and people don't forget, I mean, she was after all the run in WWF and, you know, think about having to work with somebody and, and do like the wedding at SummerSlam 91 when you're, you're actually on the road to getting divorced. divorced. Oh, I know that's just what it takes to do that. And the fact that she's not in the Hall of Fame is is an absolute disgrace. She was incredible and uh, very transcendent. She was, you know, the first that I can remember um, of, of, you know, the females in wrestling and one that you just don't remember really Macho Man, you know, especially at this era without without Miss Elizabeth. So uh, hopefully she will get her due uh, at some point. As you mentioned, uh, Andrew, the Honky Tonk Man. So the next matchup was Jake the Snake versus the Honky Tonk Man. And we have a good Jake promo before, and Jake has resurfaced recently in, in uh, All Elite Wrestling, and he still cuts as, as good of a damn promo as he ever did, and he still has that intensity behind it. And this was 
you know, again, more of like the moment. It was Alice Cooper that was with Jake, and it was it was about Jake and Alice Cooper kind of getting the snake and, and getting over on Jimmy Hart. But they were starting to build up Honky Tonk Man in, in, in every way that this match was a Honky Tonk Man match, where it was kind of slow, plodding. He was, you know, cheap. He cheated to win, and then he was quick out of there. Like, that was what you would get from Honky Tonk Man, and he drew a hell of a lot of heat. No kidding. And uh, before we get to far down the road here just one point about miss elizabeth before we move on there are rumors that initially the plan for randy savage when he came in was that he was going to be managed by missy hyatt due respect to missy hyatt and due respect to randy savage one of the great uh, performers of all time that would not have worked no and you get a, a performer like miss elizabeth who the second she made her television debut every eye was on her and you don't see that anywhere. You talk about star quality. Yes, she had it. She's a Hall of Famer. Moving on to this match, though, Alice Cooper told the story for one of the uh, I Love the 80s shows that BH1 did years and years and years ago. And they talked about the WWF. And it wound up being a situation where he goes, eh, okay, I guess I'll do this, whatever. He goes there. He comes out, 90,000 people. And you can see his eyes were as big as saucers when he's riding in the ring with Jake. Uh, Jake has the snake, of course, and Jake does a promo. Shocker, Jake the Snake Roberts doing a tremendous promo. <laughs> Let me show you my big shocked face. But yeah, you're absolutely right. This was uh, this was both guys doing what they do, and when you get something like that, chances are it's going to be good. No question. Uh, Honky, number one, one thing I took away from the match, his Elvis suit on the way in, it was his best Elvis suit that he ever wore. The white with the gold and the gold, uh, you know, around the neck and, and the gold scarf. I mean, tremendous Elvis suit. Uh, it always makes me laugh when Jesse says, he doesn't even get the chance to get his Elvis suit off. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, also, one of the things in this match that you really need to take away, Honky's one of the best sellers you'll ever see. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, he takes an atomic drop out of the corner from Jake and, I mean, it was like the rock taking a, you know, a stone cold stunner. I mean, yeah, yep. he goes down and flips up upside down, rolling over the top of his head when, when he's getting hit, you know, and he's hanging onto the ropes. I mean, he's like teetering, like on a 90 degree angle, hanging off the, I mean, just a tremendous seller. And of course you get the great heel finish, roll him up, hold onto the ropes, celebrate at the end of the match. And everybody knows what's coming whenever jake gets beat like that we all know what's about well first before you get the snake you you get the uh you know you get the guitar smash off the ring yep. post yep. just escapes you know <laughs> and then you get the close-up of jake with like the, the crazed look in his eye like what am i gonna do now oh i've got i've got heart in the ring we've got him now you know <laughs> it's like it's just a, a lot of this a lot of wrestlemania 3 you re- when you watch it back, you really realize it goes way beyond the, the the wrestling in the ring. And then you get this moment where Jimmy Hart squares up like he's about to, you know, throw fist the cuffs with Alice Cooper. And here comes Jake in with Paul <laughs> Nelson and the snake comes out and, and Hart is just losing his mind. You know, losing his mind. It's it's another great WrestleMania moment, and there's a lot of them. And it's really what makes this show so good, is that it's way beyond what happens in the ring. The stories that take place after the matches are phenomenal. And uh, yeah, uh, Honky was out there with Jimmy Hart and Peggy Sue, who was uh, that was Sherry, right? 
I, I, wasn't a, I think that was Sherry who was dressed up like Peggy Sue. Um, and just, yeah, just another one. A good build. Um, Honky, you know, crushed a guitar over uh, Jake in the snake pit. And this was when Jake started getting really popular. Like, this was at the time when he was getting massive pops. And, you know, the, all the baby faces and the good guys were getting big cheers. But Jake... Jake cheers at this time were like really, really up there. They were starting to rival some of those Hogan cheers as yeah. uh, we get to our our last two matches. And this this tag match was kind of like a the filler before the big main event. You had uh, Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov versus the Killer Bees with Slick. Who the best part about Slick is he's still all beat up from when Tino Santana got him earlier. Like his shirt's all ripped and he didn't get the chance to change. And he's like he looks all funny and. Uh, you know, the the thing I, I'll get about this is we saw, you know, Hackstaw Jim Duggan comes out and interrupts the, the Russian national anthem. I think they would have, maybe they tried. This would have just been much better as a six-man, you know, with Hacksaw in the mix and, and add another on the heel team. Because a lot of this match was even more about Hacksaw than it really was about the Killer Bees. Yeah, uh, because du- this this was like Duggan's first big moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He had just signed with them like a couple of months before. Um and this this was like his introduction, so uh, you know it was great to get him out there. But I totally agree with you; they could have done a lot more with it. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. Like I think about a, if I remember correctly, I think like a month or two after this, didn't Duggan and the Sheik get arrested for like a DUI? Yes, yes, <laughs> yep, yeah. They got pops for weed in the car. For weed, yeah. yep, for yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. But yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I mean, this match. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it kind of is what it is. I I, I like the Killer Bees. Uh, I thought they could work. You know, they, they were one of those fun tag teams. I remember that big Survivor Series uh, match uh, in 87 where there's like five teams on each Such side. Blast, and, yeah. And, and, I mean, it's just a cl- – and you have like, you know, the Hearts and the Bulldogs and the Bees, you know, everybody that you can imagine that's in the match. But, yeah, I mean, you know, you got the, the classic heels here. You know, the Sheik obviously is at the end of, of his long run uh, – you got Nikolai who who had great heat at the time, and and obviously, you know, you got Duggan just walking around outside with the two by four, which sets the stage for the character that he's going to be, you know, for the next decade plus. But yeah, this match is another match where okay, you know, it's fine, it's there, but we all know why it's there. It's the filler uh, before the main event, and you get to see Duggan for the first time. Yeah, my opinions are pretty much the same as Darren's here. It's it's just a match. It's just there, and even on the rewatch, I was watching it, and I'm like. Eh, okay, this doesn't stink. When does Hogan come out? And that yeah. I feel like is it, the crowd reaction for it, with the exception of when Duggan came out. It's 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 not that great. And you can tell Sheik's at the end of his run. Nikolai Volkov had been doing the same shtick for a while. It was it was something where it was to get him on the card, get him a payday, and ultimately you know cool the crowd down a little bit before the Hogan Andre match that everyone had been waiting so long for. And then up next, I mean, in wrestling, there's a, a ton of hyperbole. We hear this is the biggest match in wrestling history over and over. How many times? This was not hyperbole. This this next match was at the time the biggest match in the history of wrestling. You had Andre the Giant, who was bigger than any championship or any title, and he was he was such an attraction that he would travel from territory to territory, from all over the world, um, different countries, and he was a star that I mean everybody knew who he was. He was one of the most recognizable like like athletes at the time um, who had been around for you know twenty years and and up and down. Um, and and then you have Hulk Hogan, who, at this point, is by far like the most popular babyface wrestler ever. And WWF had done such an incredible job building him up through the whole rock and wrestling connection. And it was it was really the first time where it felt like 
you know what, Hogan is the underdog in here and he may not win. And then leading into this match, all of the the backstory stuff that we've now found out through the years of reading books and watching documentaries and stuff about how Andre was like in really bad shape, bought his yep. physically, his body was not holding up. He didn't have a whole ton of like I mean, he he had right after this, he took a little time off before he was able to kind of have the, the next run, and and even then, this was like one of the longer times you you see him in the ring really working, and and then there were even some of the rumors about Andre not liking Hogan, like maybe he didn't want to go along with this, maybe he wasn't going to uh to, to put Hogan over here, so there were you know things behind behind this as well. And, and and you have uh, Euchre as the the guest announcer. You have Mary Hart as the guest uh, timekeeper, and um, they come out and the, the, the footage is awesome. I mean, the footage from 1984 to 85, where it's like Hogan wins the title and Andre's celebrating with the champagne with him, and and then you have when uh, when Andre and Hogan are are on a tag team against you know, a Bundy and Big John Stud, and Hogan comes out and saves him, and there's a really fun match on on Saturday night's main event where, with those four and. And, and then we see the complete turn in the Piper's Pits segments where, you know, with the trophies, with the, the Hogan gets the bigger trophy, Andre gets the little one, and then he's upset. And the, the pulling of the shirt and the cross on Hogan's that scrapes Hogan's chest and bleeds. And the Piper asking Hogan, Are you going to do it? Yes! <laughs> Just the, the, the build up, the videos. I love watching them. And it sets up a match that. Man, again, that like the common theme of most of this WrestleMania, where this was just such an incredible spectacle. Everything around it, it it, it was about as well done as it could have been. Yeah, no, no question. And and like you said, you know, when we were kids, I mean, look, I was I wasn't even three years old. I I didn't watch this live. Um, you know, I like like so many of us. You know, as I started to get into wrestling and I started to watch the videos back. You know, I, I would watch this match for the first time. I was probably, you know, seven years old, eight yeah. years old. Um, and you know, when you were watching it, you know, you didn't realize that Andre, was, at this point of his career, was already well past his peak. Oh, yeah. Uh, you, when you watch this match for the first time, you think this is Andre's peak mm-hmm. uh, because of just the stage that it's on. And, and, and now knowing it, as you go back and watch the match, you can really see... Like, even when he just whips Hogan into the turnbuckle, it takes him a second to keep his balance. Yeah. You know, like he almost falls over. Like, that's how bad a shape he's in, holding onto the ropes constantly to keep himself up. Um, a couple of things in the match, the false finish from the beginning when Hogan yeah. tries to him, where you, for a split second, it's like, did this match just end in yeah. four Then the ridiculous part where Hogan tries to pile drive Andre. <laughs> I mean, you know, come on. Yeah. And then, and and then it's like the most eased back body drop in the history of pro wrestling. As Andre slowly stands up and happily <laughs> slides off the ring apron and gently falls to the floor, like you know, it's. I mean, some of this stuff, in all honesty, is not great in this match because, look, bottom line, Hogan was not the best ring worker in the world, and at this point, like we said, Andre was in really bad shape. But you know, the other thing that we didn't know about this match. And you hear about it, and it's actually in the uh, phenomenal HBO documentary, uh, which if you have not seen it and you're listening, oh, so great. So watch great. Andre the Giant documentary done by HBO. It is fantastic. Um, but Hogan going into the match, like there was not no discussion between Hogan and Andre. Yeah. 
Like Hogan didn't know if Andre was going to put him over. The exact and, opposite of what we had just talked about with Steamboat and, right. uh, and Savage, right? Yeah, like exactly. he didn't know. Going in, like the plan was for Hogan to go over, but there was no communication. And and he talks about how like it gets to the point of the match where Andre's done. And he tells, you know, he calls out the clothesline to him and, and Hogan hits him and, and Andre falls. And when Andre goes down, the crowd erupts. And then Hogan says that he says to him, like, while he's on the floor getting up, slam. Yeah. Time yeah. to slam him, you know. And as he goes down, you know, leg drop. And he drops the leg and that's it. But he, Hogan even admits that up to that point, he didn't know what Andre was going to do. <laughs> which, you know, look, you could choose to believe it. You could choose to say that's just Hogan being Hogan. Who knows? But it really does bring the storyline all the way home on you know what is to be quite honest with you probably the most significant match in wwe history yep there are a couple of things that i remember about that match i remember jesse the body ventura doing a tale of the tape as the two guys came to the ring and that gave it even more of a big fight atmosphere than it already had i remember gorilla monsoon fellow ithaca college graduate gorilla monsoon saying it's the irresistible force versus the immovable object and Jesse Ventura jumping all over him to go, look at the size of the giant. Hulk (laughs) is six foot eight. (laughs) It doesn't take much to provide that kind of an atmosphere. When you watch wrestling for a while, sometimes you can get a little bit snobby. You can talk about terms like work rate and selling and psychology and whatever. This match right here is the reason WWE does not book to those people because you can watch that match at any time for any reason. It is a terrible match from bell to bell. Hulk is not a tremendous in-ring worker. Andre was five or six years past his prime. And seriously, if you haven't seen an Andre the Giant match from his prime in Japan, Go watch he does the top things. rope stuff. It's incredible. Nobody of his size should be able to do those things. But at this stage, no, he was completely broken down. And you watch that match. And if that match happens in, say, the ECW arena, both guys get booed out of the building. Mm-hmm. But when Hulk picks Andre up, Andre gets slammed for in canon the very first time. It obviously wasn't. But in canon for the very first time, Hogan hits the leg drop. Joey Morella counts to three and the crowd blows the roof off the silver dome. That's wrestling in a nutshell. And that's why even to this day, you get people like us talking about WrestleMania three. Yeah. You get the the Jesse, the body. What do you say? Uh, I don't believe it. And he, and what's great is that he actually kind of gave Hogan props for the first time. I didn't think he could do it. And he did it monsoon you know which 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 made it even a bigger deal you're like wow jesse even gave hogan props he never does that you know yeah and this i mean you know a couple other things you know andre and heenan both coming in and going out getting pelted by like you know what looks like chewed up apples and and god knows what else i mean you if you look at like the the floor around the ring there's just like garbage everywhere they're throwing everything at him because he's the perfect heel and then you know, coming out of this WrestleMania, this story does not end. Yeah. You know, it it 
you 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 have which is kind of like the weird thing like you have the big blow off in the in the big match in the the biggest wrestlemania potentially of all time but the hogan andre saga continues yeah and you get you get to the saturday night main event well first you get to the survivor series you get to the saturday night main event with with the the two referees and Earl and Dave Hepner and the plastic and, surgery brother yeah yeah you know and 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 Andre Aussie, and, yeah you intersect Dibiase into the feud yeah and, and 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 if you think about it you know you talk about how things get planned with nobody even knowing that it's planned and even the people that are planning them I mean you think about it you got Hogan Andre in the lead up to three you got all the stuff that goes on with the Saturday night main event. And, and the title, and then you bring DiBiase in with Andre. You give the belt to him. And now you go to WrestleMania 4. You have Hogan, Andre, and the double countout. And it was the, the grand master plan. We've got Hogan out of the tournament. It clears the way for DiBiase. And now you got DiBiase and Savage. And then you got DiBiase and 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 down the line with with freaking Zeus and the and, mega and, powers. <laughs> oh yeah, it goes from the mega powers to to Zeus. Yeah, it's incredible. You think about how long Hogan. Andre, Savage, DiBiase, in some way, shape, or form, are in a story together. I mean, it's like it's like two and a half years. It's crazy, and it's some of the best work that WWF at the time, WWE now, ever did. Um, it, it really is, and that's why we are going back and talking about some of these, and that's why this one is the one when we put up a poll that got voted on because people love hearing about this show. It was an absolute blast, and that match only ends up being like a twelve-minute match, but. It was more, way more than the match, and what it what it meant moving forward, as you mentioned, for the next couple years of of WWF, which just started the huge WrestleManias. Because now the next two years, WrestleMania four and five, they're at Trump Plaza, <laughs> which yeah. is really funny. To I, and 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 you know when we go back and look at those WrestleManias, one uh, there's a moment when um, Jesse the Body is interviewing Donald Trump, and he yep. says to Donald Trump, you know. Uh, uh, he says something about running for office And he says if I run for office Can I get your support And Trump says whatever you need Jesse You know whatever you need Which is just so crazy to think about <laughs> In what the time that we are in now Yeah no no Trump is actually in the front row At WrestleMania 7 too If you, if yep. you ever noticed yeah. it But yeah I mean you, you get 4 and 5 And then you get then you get to 6 Which I, I thought was a great WrestleMania and I, yeah. I was almost hoping that people would have voted for that one Because I will admit And I'll take the heat I was not a Hogan guy, and probably just because I was a little too young to be a Hogan guy. Sure. Uh, I I was an Ultimate Warrior guy, and you know the the uh, the Warrior Hogan match and and getting the Warrior, uh, you know, going over and the the literal passing of the, of the baton uh, was was another phenomenal WrestleMania moment. And by the way, Hogan was not a good worker, and the Warrior, you know, couldn't. You know, I mean, forget it. You know, the guy did three things, but surprisingly, the good whole match from WrestleMania six is good match. Yeah. Two words, Pat Patterson. That is his magnum <laughs> opus, and the fact that he constructed that match from bell to bell with those two guys and was able to do so in such a way. Maybe it's Hogan's ma- best match ever. I prefer the Warrior Savage matches myself, and I was a oh, Warrior fan that. too. I love that but match. you take a look at that WrestleMania six match, and then you take a look at the match those two would have eight years later it's in WCW. WCW. <laughs> and oh my goodness, someone needs to give Pat Patterson a medal. 
Yeah, yeah this was a good run for Hogan. These these three, I mean, in particular, uh, three with Andre. Um, the four was you know the double countout, but the five match with Macho Man was really good. That was one of Hogan's. I mean, if you're making a list of his best matches from a work rate standpoint, that was a really really good one too. And um, just a a fun era and a fun time in uh, in the WWF at the moment. So I'll give a couple like overall thoughts, and then and then you guys can do the same, and I'll uh, I'll let you go because we're already coming up on uh, <laughs> to the hour and a half point half half of the show. Which I was actually I was like anything under two hours will be good. I figured we we would, <laughs> we would go on for a while. <laughs> but uh, for me, one of some of the things that I love almost. Every single match with the managers and how big a deal the managers played in every feud and every match from the mouth of the South to Bobby the Brain Heenan to Slick, uh, Mr. Fuji is in the mix even, Miss Elizabeth. I mean, every single match, the only match where there's not a manager out at ringside is in the Bundy match and Heenan is actually Bundy's guy and he even references that. Well, I wasn't out there, so it doesn't count as a loss because I wasn't wasn't out there uh, during the ring. But I mean, the managers were... Were awesome. The major storylines and builds for every, like almost every match on the card Hercules, Billy Jack, JYD, King Harley Race, Piper, Adonis, Hearts and the Bulldogs, uh, you know, with the Danny Davis in the mix. You had Brutus turn with, with the Dream Team, and then the Macho Man, Ricky Steamboat, and then obviously Hogan, Andre. And, and then I just noticed in every match, everything. I always felt like the guys were working hard and they they really realized and understood how important this show was and it was just a blast. I really enjoyed rewatching this. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, you know, it, it's a lot of fun. It, it doesn't take a long time to watch because the matches are short. Um, you get some really great moments. Like we talked about the fact that it's not all just about what's in the ring and you talking about the managers and you know, we talked about Jimmy Hart and he's involved in the Danny Davis one. And then you get him with Alice Cooper and the snake and you got the stuff going on after uh, Adonis where, where we have the creation of the barber. I mean, you think about it, you have the creation of the barber. You have the introduction of Jim Duggan here. Um, you have uh, obviously the monster moment of Hogan and Andre. And you have one of the, you know, marquee great matches of all time uh, between Savage and, and Steamboat. Uh, I don't know. Did Meltzer give this match five stars? Probably not. I think he did. I feel like this was a five-star match, and if it wasn't, Meltzer is insane. I don't think he's that insane. I feel like this was a five-star match, and if it wasn't, it it is, and he was wrong. Okay, yeah. so last thing, when when you think of, uh, before we let you go, when you think of the all-time Mania matches, and we, we, we put Steamboat Savage up on that list, um, what are, I guess for me, the other, or not, not my personal favorites, the ones that everyone would think are the best. It's probably in the conversation with, uh, with this match, I'd say with the Brett versus Austin match at WrestleMania and maybe Undertaker versus, uh, Shawn Michaels. Like those are probably the three that get talked about as, as probably the best mania matches of all time. Yeah. You, you mean, you mean in terms of just remembering, you're talking about the, well, what are the, what are thought of generally as like the best WrestleMania matches in WWE, WWF? I think yeah. those were ones that are probably on the short list that everyone would, would, would come to mind. I would agree. And I would add Brett and Owen from WrestleMania. Yeah. 10. I mean, that's up. That's definitely up there. TLC with the tag team. Yeah, you're right. The TLC is a great one and too. The razor razor. Sean, the first ladder match. Also. Mm-hmm. T- yeah. 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 That was, that was a good, uh, 10 10 was a, another fun one also well i was there i was there and i'll be honest with you my father was sitting next to me god rest his soul i remember he looked at me after that match and he said darren i swear to god that's the greatest thing i've ever seen nice. <laughs> that's awesome 
that is so cool and it's like a memory you'll always have and that was a great wrestlemania so um hey we have another week we'll see what happens next week if you two are free maybe i'll have to get you two back and we can do uh one a little bit later on maybe it's six maybe it's ten i don't know we'll figure out one uh, a, a little earlier but darren andrew thank you very much darren first uh, let everybody know out there where can we follow you online if we want to uh say hello and uh and, and follow along with what you're up to yeah sure uh twitter uh at the track seven uh obviously you know, being in racing, we have a huge Florida Derby Day card coming up on Saturday. Uh, I'll be looking at the races because, and, and I'll put it out to the racing fans that are listening. Uh, I don't know when we're going to see a card like this. Yes, again. you're right. Go. Take advantage. Take Amen. advantage. Enjoy it. Uh, it's a tremendous racing card. The Florida Derby itself is going to be compelling, but you got newspaper record coming back. A couple other big names on the card, so enjoy it. I'll be putting out. So long as I'm not allowed to leave my house <laughs> And about you Andrew Yeah I'm pretty much in the same boat here Twitter is at Andrew Champagne And I am obviously in for next week Because where the hell else am I going to go Right um, <laughs> But having said that uh, Co-signing with Darren Saturday's card at Gulfstream Is a very good one I'm going to dive into that tonight As I finish up Tiger King on Netflix Which by <laughs> the way is the most bizarre thing I have ever seen in my life uh, Maybe we can talk about that at some point but regardless, uh, at Andrew Champagne on Twitter, myself and J.D. Fox will be sitting down tomorrow night to talk about the card at Gulfstream. Mandatory payout in that Rainbow Six. There's going to be a lot of money in the wagering pools, and you only have to be right once or twice in order to make a nice score. So it's going to be a really good card. And as Darren mentioned, you never know when the next time we're going to see something like this is. There are rumblings. Gulfstream Park might close due to the situation down in Florida. Javier Castellano testing positive certainly didn't help things. I have no inside knowledge on that, but it's one of those situations where if you're waiting for a really good card, do not wait any longer. I'd love to see what your Netflix queue looks like with the Cheers and the and the and the, and the Tiger Show uh, on there together. It's probably. Like, I think the algorithm is throwing <laughs> up onto itself. It's like not sure. Not sure what to do there, but guys, that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And one thing that you mentioned too, Andrew, was cool. I like how like in each match, we all kind of remember something different, you know, or like something different stands out to each one of us, which was a lot of fun. And I always enjoy talking with the, with the two of you. So thanks again, guys. And and maybe we'll, uh, we'll be able to link up again for another one next week. Would love it. Be safe, be healthy. Everybody out there, be safe, be healthy. You know, follow follow the orders because we want to be done with this yep. rather than later. So do what you can. Be safe. And, and by all means, keep the vulnerable people in your family and your friends safe uh, as long as possible as well. So God bless everybody. And we'll get through this. And hopefully I'll talk to you again next week, Gino. Thank you, DZ. Andrew. I'll be ordering some full-blooded Italians T-shirts for everybody <laughs> for next week. Uh, what's your size, Darren? There we go. <laughs> Extra large, but at the rate that I've been eating because I can't leave the house, that might go up rather quickly. Extra you and me both, here. brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali, thank you very much. Let's take a quick break here on That's What G Said. We'll be back in just a minute with plenty more. That was a lot of fun talking uh, WrestleMania 3 with Darren and with Andrew. Uh, great conversation with Eric uh, earlier talking NFL and all the different moves in free agency. We talked with Chad about the Texans, and then we went through everything happening in the world of wrestling, in uh, all elite wrestling, and in WWE. So just a packed show. 
I gave you a little Gulfstream parked. Also, if you can get the uh, the opportunity to head on over, subscribe, download, rate, review, you know, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Podcasts, tune in anywhere you get your podcast. Make sure to look for That's What G Said and give us a, a nice subscribe and a rating and uh, a good rating and a review. Have a great weekend, everyone. Best of luck. We'll be back next week with more That's What She Said podcast. Joey Cleveland, take it away.